What's up, everyone? This is Anthony Pompliano. Most of you know me as Pomp. You're listening to the Pomp Podcast, simply the best podcast out there. Now let's kick this thing off. Mike Solana is a vice president at Founders Fund, the ringleader of Hereticon, and editor-in-chief at Pirate Wires. In this conversation, Mike and I talk about politics as theater. Does the truth exist anymore? Why science isn't science? The changing definitions of society, AOC, Ron DeSantis, Donald Trump, Joe Biden, Gavin Newsom, lab leak theory, Hunter Biden laptop, and much, much more. I really enjoyed this conversation with Mike. It'll make you think much deeper about culture, the way the world works, how information is flowing in the digital ecosystem, and why you need to be an independent, critical thinker. I really enjoyed this conversation, and I hope that you guys enjoy it as well. All right, let's get into this episode. Anthony Pompliano runs Pomp Investments. All views of him and the guests on his podcast are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Pomp Investments. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Pomp or his guests as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his personal opinion. This podcast is for informational purposes only. All right, guys, I'm here with Mike. Uh, I think a great place to start is just what is a pirate wire? You, you have a publication called Pirate Wires. What the hell is a pirate wire? Oh, man. Uh, so, yeah, Pirate Wires is my media company. Um, a pirate Wires is just, it's like, it's just sort of how, it's, it's just sort of how I, f- I feel, I guess, on the, <laughs> on the internet. It's like the, I, I kind of conceive of the internet as this chaotic, turbulent ocean, and you have the kind of like flagship empire. Uh, like empire ships kind of patrolling the seas. Um, and it's just like me kind of watching and sending dispatches from the insanity. So you're um, like the Somali pirate as the Caribbean pirate. Caribbean. Okay. Right. Caribbean pirate. <laughs> what is the difference? Uh, I think that the Caribbean pirates, it's like rum heavy. Um, it's like <laughs> hidden gold on secret islands, pirate coves in beautiful locations. It's like very much kind of the energy I'm trying to represent. Not so much the Somali. Uh, Not approach. trying to like murder and pillage and rape and uh, <laughs> yeah, no. It's like a, a more uh, you know what it is too. It's like the Caribbean pirates are in the past, and so we can look back on it with rose-colored glasses. And every now and then, yeah, they were great people. They were amazing. They were they were heroes. <laughs> we make also, I mean, pirates. Like, movies about that's them. the American pirate piracy. It's like I mean, that's like a, a part of American history as well. It's like why do you say that? Well, that's how we used to handle. That's how we used to to, to take care of the British. I mean, this was like a much more dominant power, and we used sort of pirate tactics to uh, navigate a competitor with whom we really had no business competing. They were way bigger, way more powerful, way wealthier. And so you kind of have to be a little bit gorilla about it. So America was technically the insurgency. I mean, we were. I think that if you look in, in hindsight, it's obvious we were always going to win. It's like a resource game. It's the distance. Um, it is the commitment, all of those things. But at the time, it seemed impossible. Mm-hmm. And do you think, uh, as we've watched the American history play out, uh, other countries have been like, oh, you know, that American Revolution thing, like they had certain tactics, we should just employ them? Or do you think that's us just trying to be privileged people in America looking at war after war after war and trying to overlay them on top of each other? I mean, I think we had a huge impact on the world. Uh, what I lived, uh, I was an English teacher in Spain for a little bit after college. And one thing I thought was really interesting was how everyone in Europe was like, they really believed the French Revolution happened before the American Revolution. They genuinely believed this. Why? 
no idea what, like what happened over there education wise, but they all, they would all talk about this. It's not true. Obviously it's like the American revolution <laughs> happened first. Um, and Google and I, th- and I, I had a college professor also who used to go on and on about how the American revolution wasn't a real revolution. And he talked about the French revolution as being a real revolution as, as like presenting fundamental change and blah, 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 blah. Uh, but if, but of course that's, I mean, it's all bullshit. The American revolution was, we had a, a, an intellectual revolution in which we sort of decided that the concept of the divine monarch was stupid. Yeah. We got rid of it completely. Well, we, we, why we, did he inalienable rights of people right there in, 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 in the piece? I guess the, the idea is that like we, we've, a lot of our, our sort of concept of rights ha- is, is derived from British law, but, um, but I mean, the, the French had a concept of rights as well. It's, it's, we, we were the first country that had a real revolution of the people. Yeah. What, why did he think the French Revolution was a real revolution? I think because he sees, I mean, his framing was that it was a fundamentally different government and perhaps ours was not. Our, mm-hmm. Ours was, 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 closer to the parliament system or something. I don't know. It's a lot of cope, man. I think that, I think that mostly what people want to do is, is eat away at the idea that there's something special about America. And, um, and it's silly because that's the path for them to calamity. I mean, there is something special about America. I don't actually think America can be replicated anywhere else. I, I don't think, I used to think it was just a matter of philosophy. There are people like Peter Zihan who think it's just a matter of geography. I think it's somewhere in the middle, but we are special. It's a, mm-hmm. we're a, we're a special place where we're protected by two oceans. We have two neighbors, both of them peaceful with us. Most of that does come down to geography. It's like a hard place to invade from and into. Um, we have abundant natural resources. We have inherited uh, a history of rights from Britain that we then kind of made more libertarian and extremely pro-individual and pro-freedom. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have just an incredible amount of capital that we're, we're sort of riding forward with. We're in a, an amazing position. It is hard to replicate this country. We, we obviously just saw Russia invade Ukraine. I, it's almost infa- uh, uh, impossible to believe that Mexico would invade America or Canada would invade right. America, right? Like it, it I don't even think there's anyone who would say that with a straight face and be like, yes, I think this could happen. Well, no. And I mean, it's also, it's, I don't, are there any more, there's no more peaceful border than the Canadian U S border in the world. I think Mexico, yeah, we have this immigration problem, but even with that, it's still not a a super patrolled border. I mean, that's part of the problem. Uh, we have, they're just, we, we have really, we have really strong relationships with both countries and they're strong trade partners. They are ideologically very close to us. Um, especially Canada, obviously, we're within the Anglosphere. Uh, yeah, there's just really nothing like America. The Mexico border is an interesting place to start to dive into the insanity of the world. Uh, obviously, we had Donald Trump who was going to build a wall. And uh, in some ways, it was a proxy, a simple statement that just said, hey, we want better border security, yeah. right? But build a wall is a much better meme. Uh, it really gets people jazzed up. Well, I think what I loved about it is when you say no to it, you, you have to you have to answer the question of like well why why don't you want why don't you want the the wall mm-hmm. and you either say because it's not going to work in which case you're admitting that we need to stop this sort of like free flow of illegal immigration from uh, South America or you say uh, because I don't believe in the concept and I mean the entire left has really gotten to a place the the idea that we should have open borders was a pretty radical idea that 
was strongly libertarian. It was not leftist. It was, the, the, I mean, Bernie Sanders was anti-immigration because of labor. Um, libertarians were, were, were open borders. It was a Koch brothers thing. Mm -hmm. uh, that has completely changed. The, the Democratic Party has more or less, in rhetoric at least, adopted the language of libertarians on things like immigration. And then in practice, it's more complicated because yeah. I guess, I mean these sort of both major parties have less of a, of a hard time lying. Libertarians, to their detriment, love to be sort of principled and honest um, mm. no matter what, to a fault. Why do you say that uh, the Democrats have kind of almost taken over or infiltrated the like open border movement? What, what is their argument? I think it now? like happened to them. I think that wokeness is like a pretty chaotic, crazy, almost religious movement that, I mean, it reminds, I don't know if you've ever seen, have you watched Game of Thrones? No. Okay, well, there's uh, this sort of evil queen who I love. Her name is Cersei. Um, I'm not surprised you love Game of Thrones. Ill, she's an, the illegitimate ruler of of King's Landing, uh, and she has to fend off the new young guns. And mm -hmm. to do this, she invokes a growing religion. She goes to the, a religious leader. He's like mm -hmm. this very like uh, austere, like Jesus-looking kind of guy. No beard, but like barefoot, walks around everywhere. Pro poverty, so like all of that. Adam Newman, just a couple of centuries ago. Yes, little little shaved down, a little more uh, like, like a little older, shorter hair, but very Adam Newman esque. Um, and uh, she aligns with it because it's powerful, and she mm -hmm. uses it to destroy her enemies. But then it it comes after her, mm -hmm. and it's like, no, you're impure, and it and it just burns. It sort of like burns that world of power down. And uh, I think that's what the Democrats did. At the average person is not woke. The average person I think looks at this stuff and is like, this is crazy and regressive. And, um, you know, why are we, why are we reducing people to things like their race and gender? It seems wrong. It seems like the opposite of everything that we worked against for all of these decades. Um, but it was powerful and young people loved it and it was deranged and it felt like you had the grassroots energy on your side. And so people tapped into it and now it's consuming everything. And if you notice now really where wokeness is striking is on the left. It doesn't people on the right. I mean, if you're working for Disney, maybe you're going to get canceled, but the average person on the, if, if you're purely in politics, you have nothing to worry about. If you're media, it's like, maybe you get canceled, but then you start a sub stack or you work for someone who has, who has their own, uh, who has their own sort of budding media company. Um, the game is social media. And unless you get canceled on social media, you still have your followers. And in fact, when people try to cancel you and you say, fuck off, you just become more popular. Yeah. So, I mean, unless you're like sort of left of center. Let, let, let's go to this idea of like the woke is uh, equivalent of uh, a religion, right? So I think most people think of that as like, oh, religion is declining in America and uh, there's now these like ideologies that have replaced it or, or at least tangentially uh, kind of risen as religion has declined. Um, but what you're making an argument is less about like the uh, uh, kind of the congregation. You're making the argument that like, no, the politicians are the priest. Right. Like they're the ones who are saying, hey, human nature is that you want to party and have sex and like curse. But Jesus in the Bible says you shouldn't do that. And so like hold back on your inhibitions. Right. And like be a man or woman of God. The politicians essentially or the leaders of the woke movement are almost saying, hey, you all don't want to view the world this way. But like this is the pure or uh, ethical way to view things. Right. I mean, I, first of all, I don't think the political leaders are actually the priests. Okay. I think that it's, it's all, it's like 
academia is where it started. It's mostly professor oriented. This is why these people are also obsessed with like forgiving college debt and getting everybody into college, even though it increasingly is increasingly obvious that the meme of if you go to college, you're going to do better than someone who doesn't is is incorrect in in most cases of uh, of the liberal arts that are so so you go and get a gender studies degree uh, and you're now a hundred thousand dollars in debt because you went to a pretty good school but you kind of like squeaked your way in mm-hmm. is that is that better than not going to college and becoming a plumber of course not it's just insane that doesn't make any sense at all um, why the why are people so so determined to, to get every kid in college regardless of what they're studying, um, regardless of how well it's setting them up for their future. They don't care about that. They just want them in the machine because it's it's a, it's a religious indoctrination campus. Yeah. That's what it is now. That's what all of college is. It's bled out. And so now you have, it's like, how do we appease the academics in the first place? But now increasingly you have this sort of class of activists, these people who are, and social media allows this. I mean, you can, you can eke a living out of it. Um, some people are better than others. Sean King is really good. Uh, I don't know if you read about his $40,000 dog he just bought with the funds from his activists. Tell me about this guy because I, uh, I saw an article one time and uh, I have no clue if this is true or not, but let's just dive right into the shit. Um, that they basically were like, he literally changed his appearance and everything to like oh, more align. I am with- not touching this, but I mean, right. uh, we'll, well, we'll talk about what the controversy <laughs> is. I mean, we're talking about a man who many people think is a white man pretending to be a black man. I don't know that that is something that I would say. I will say that black Twitter loves to tease him about it. I mean, he's, uh, if you go online, anytime there's a, a Sean King controversy, it's, it's usually, it's usually like black Twitter. That's, that's merciless. Um, mm-hmm. and this is because he's gotten a lot of criticism from, uh, especially black women for like stealing funds and things like this. It's a, yeah, just Google it. This is not, I'm not an expert in the Sean King discourse. I'm yeah. sort of a, a casual observer every now and then I dip in, but I mean, uh, they call him <laughs> things like Talcum X. And I mean, there's like a whole, there's like a whole, litany of like insane things that they, that they say, but he's really powerful. Um, he's really influential. Uh, he, I think, what was it? Maybe it was Rihanna did some kind of video with him not too long ago. And Mm -hmm. and this is what always sets people off or it's, uh, it's other activists who are angry at the opportunities Mm -hmm. that he's receiving. Um, so is is it a level of, uh, jealousy, envy, something like that? I think part of it's that to be fair to Sean King, um, which I hate doing. I, he, he is, he does seem actually committed to the cause of sort of, uh, he really believes in the like police brutality stuff. Mm-hmm. And, um, that's, I mean, a big part of what he talks about, but he's gotten famous because of it and he's mm-hmm. made money off of it and he gets mm-hmm. incredible opportunities because of it. And I think people see that as in some way, um, lacking integrity because, I mean, to go back to our model for religion is Christianity and that is austere and, you know, it's nothing about the physical world matters. Everything you're doing is for the sort of next world. You're, you're working towards that. And, uh, and this is mapping to that in some way. And so Mm -hmm. if you're making a lot of money and you're really successful and you've got all these sort of like worldly riches because of your sort of, your like goodness, then it's how good is it really? Like, I mean, are, are you, are you really an activist or, um, or do you just play one on Is on that Twitter? the playbook now is like drive a bunch of attention and then figure out a way to monetize the attention. And we're watching this, you know, there's obviously the woke component. Uh, there's, uh, a Sean King. There's also, uh, you can go through the, uh, the right, you can go through kind of all the different causes. And like, there seems to be, uh, if you throw out an issue, we could all think of like the one person on social media who's like hung their hat on that thing yeah. and ends up building up a huge audience and then like figures out a way to monetize it. I think it's like, 
I don't even think people realize what they're doing online. I mean, it's a really chaotic place because of the incentives. And the incentives on social media are all, they're all towards either the novelty or the extreme because that's what drives attention. You want to get attention. You want likes and clicks, you know, retweets. You want followers. And, and the way that you get that spotlight is, is by doing something that no one else is doing. Um, I think the average person, I think most people, myself included, <clears throat> you live on these platforms and over time you kind of internalize the rules. You, you, mm -hmm. you have a sense of them. You can feel it. Like when a tweet's not doing well, immediately you, you have a, well, if, if you have enough followers and you, you have a kind of expectation of a certain kind of engagement, you can feel pretty much within the first minute whether or not something is working or not. And at that point, I think that it's just a behavioral therapy based is how behavior therapy works mm -hmm. is positive reinforcement. When you don't get that hit, um, you, you discard that tactic. And when you do get that positive hit, you, uh, you keep up with that tactic. You dig in deeper, stronger. It takes a lot to guard against that kind of stuff and to try and be honest with yourself and to say the things that you want to say with your platform. Um, most people are, aren't even thinking about this stuff. They are just naturally sort of guided. It's just like, this is very, it's Marshall McLuhan talking about the medium as the message. Like the medium that we exist inside of shapes the kinds of stuff that we talk about, uh, the way that we talk about, that the things that we talk about, the way that we talk about them, this is is very much, I think, what we're seeing on all across social media. And every platform is is going to be a little bit different, mm -hmm. um, whether it's short form words or video or whatever else. They all have their own rules. And so naturally you're going to see a certain kind of content in each and uh, with the activists, for sure, I think that's what's happening. I think that people are gravitating towards the extreme because that is what's rewarded. It, or or the, 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 the extreme, the bizarre, um, the sort of uh, the controversial, um, all of those things. Mm -hmm. Is this why like Donald Trump and AOC are the same person? Yes. Right? Like they, they, li they employ the same tactics. They're, it's on two different ends of the They're the same. They, they live on uh, – I wouldn't say – I don't really see Donald Trump as – classically ultra right. I mean, people like to call him a fascist. No, he was a Democrat like and he said that if yeah, he would I don't, just run as a Republican. I see him as more, like I see AOC on the far left for sure. Um, I see I see Trump as an outlier kind of, I, I once referred to, right after the January 6th, I referred to him as the the most uh, sort of successful clown in human history. And I, <laughs> and I mean that like in a almost a positive sense. Like I, I think that he is, a, is, is the court jester. And he he did the clownish, most clownish thing possible, which is he won the presidency. And then we had a clown on the throne throwing eggs at the court for four years. And it was it was crazy. He threw it the curtain back. It was entertaining as fuck. And it threw the it did what a clown is supposed to do. He yes. threw the curtain back and we saw how things really worked. And he, and he, he threw the curtain back at, at, at of power. He threw the, the curtain of power backwards. We saw the, the machinery um, behind it all. And, uh, and then he laughed and, and we laughed and, um, and is this why, like, like the reason why I say it's so, it was so entertaining was regardless of you, right, left, independent, anywhere in between, uh, even the media companies, like they literally could not look away. It was just, Obsessed. You it was the greatest Donald, show on earth. Yeah. If you put Donald <laughs> Trump's name in a headline viral, well, he's an entertainer. And so of course, of course, America, I mean, given the mediums that are dominant would ultimately elect a really sort of savant level entertainer. Donald mm -hmm. Trump has an intuitive sense of crowds. He is funny. I think that this is one of the biggest mistakes Democrats made was they would they would meet him. He would say something 
Um, and they would be like, he's so angry. He's filled with so much hate. And it's just obviously not true. He's laughing all the time. He's, he's having fun. And, and if you can't, if you can't acknowledge that he's telling jokes and that they're, they're landing, then you can't fight with him because Mm -hmm. he's playing a different game than you are. You you have to be at least as funny as you have to at least have a sense of humor or you're just never going to survive in a a fight with Trump. Yeah. Uh, Scott Adams wrote a whole book and he basically talks about the two moments, uh, that everyone should have known, like, Hey, this it's over, uh, was one, uh, on the, um, uh, kind of logo, uh, or, or, uh, uh, the mantra mission, whatever you want to call it. Uh, supposedly Hillary Clinton ran like hundred plus tests on what it was her, uh, slogan going to be. And mm. so it ended up coming together like stronger together, right? Which is like very politician, yeah. whatever. Uh, and I'm sure that they ran the test and they got the data and they're like, okay, this is this is it. And then the way that the story is told is that supposedly Trump just walks in a room and like, hey, we need a slogan. He was like, uh, make America great again, yeah, <laughs> right? And you know, obviously he borrowed it from the past or, or whatever, but like intuition is you know kind of the 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 takeaway from that story of like he really understood kind of what would play. And then the second one was uh, in the debate, I think it's Megan Kelly uh, who was uh, uh, asking questions and uh, said something about, you know, you've previously called women XYZ whatever and he's like nope, only Rosie O'Donnell. Mm-hmm. And like again to your point it, it, Scott basically lays out the argument. He's like, it's a lose-lose. If you lean into it, you're an asshole, you're a misogynist, you're like all this stuff. If you back away, you're weak, you're like whatever. It's like a very, very smart question to ask him because it basically was lose-lose. He sidestepped it, right? In a way that only an yeah. entertainer probably he, could do it. I think a lot of what people reacted to with Trump was just, it was how he said things. And it, w- it was, they clocked him as fundamentally unserious in competition for what they perceived as the most serious uh, institu- seat of power in, on the planet. And um, and that's actually what drove them crazy. It, w- it wasn't any of his positions. It, it wasn't... Um, it wasn't his lack of respect for them or anything else. It was it was that he was jarring. It was like uh, he can't have this. Someone like him can't be here. It challenges their entire worldview. It challenged their. It challenged my worldview. Um, in what ways? I was. I mean, I'd be lying if I said I thought he was going to win. I, I thought it was impossible myself. I'm not. For me, it, I wasn't like. I found that whole election pretty disorienting. That was the beginning. I think of 2016. Well, 2015 is when it all kind of began. And then 2016 for sure is like when the world felt, this was in this period of time where it's sort of like every year felt crazier and crazier until 2020. And then we got a pandemic and like a race war. It was like insane. It just built and built and built and built. But that was the beginning of the, the sort of unraveling of the kind of like 20th century America, like Mm -hmm. 90s America, the early 2000s America, even after September 11th, there was this sense that history was going to, if the future was going to look like this forever, it was going to be this very static suburban type American world and everything was going to be basically the same. And then everything started changing. And, and I was, I, I, it, even while predicting that things were going to change, I somehow wasn't prepared to, to see them start, yeah. start changing. I have this theory. Uh, I can't put a date. Like there's no like, Hey, it was, you know, August 1st or whatever. Um, uh, but somewhere around that time frame, uh, my belief is that that's when America went online. It's the first, it's like, okay, the transition happened where like, yes, yes, the internet was built before in the, you know, 15, 20 years beforehand and we're laying the infrastructure, consumer behaviors were changing, companies were being built, like all the stuff. But somewhere in the mid 2010s, 14, 15, 16, somewhere in there, it was like, oh shit, the internet matters more It was mobile penetration. Yeah. It was everyone had an iPhone. And so everyone now is walking around with the internet. 
Yes. And, and that was the, you know, you, you might've dipped in before and checked your email, but now you're living inside of it. And yes. so the rules of the internet begin to shape the way that you think about the world. Donald Trump was the first Twitter president. He was Twitter. He is, Twitter is the reason that he's the president. Correct. And um, AOC is in the same, it's the same exact mold. These are social media candidates and we are a social media country. Um, you know, people spend hours a day on social media in America. I think it's like 200 million plus people uh, on Facebook, probably even more at this point on Facebook. I just saw that TikTok was at 100 million. Um, people were spending on TikTok like two to three, maybe four hours a day. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's Facebook, two hours a day. Instagram, two hours a day. Like YouTube, two hours a day. That's, that is our, that is our reality to a certain extent. Zuckerberg talks about meta a lot and it's kind of weird, it seems, to change the name of your company to be uh, a thing that doesn't yet exist, right? Like you, you have this very successful company now. You're saying, no, we're meta now. Meta is the meta, it's a reference to the metaverse, a virtual reality, a world of virtual reality that we're going to kind of go into with our Oculus rifts and walk around. And it's very reminiscent of, it's literally from uh, Snow Crash. Yep. And uh, the idea of that uh, of kind of changing everything to be a thing that doesn't exist, changing your whole your your whole brand t- to 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 be the metaverse. It seems weird until you sort of reflect and realize that we're already living in it. Yeah, to I was going to say we're already there. That's it. It's just it's a less it's not a it's it's a less perfect version of it. It doesn't look the way that it, it looked like in sci-fi movies, but um, but yeah, we're there. I mean, we we're all even with dating, right? Like we're we're all. The idea of like, are you dating online? Everyone's dating online, whether yes. or not they're on the apps, because you meet someone and you Google them and you go to their social media presence and and you and you you're sort of you're you're dating online. That it's like it's, it's a well, very imagine, it's changed every every aspect of human culture. This has changed. Imagine a 1990s movie where they were like, you know, Tom Cruise sitting there with his with his uh, gloves on and he was swiping through women. Right. And yep. you're like, oh no, this one, this is the one that I want to talk to. Like people would be like, uh, I don't, is this okay to like publish? Right. And now every single person does that on their phone every single day. Who's looking for someone in a city. Yeah. It's why we, it's funny that that still somehow is not making it into our movies and television. We don't, we don't like the way that it looks and that's weird. I don't know that we've ever seen something like that. I, I think about the way that, uh, when you dream, mm-hmm. no one dreams of their iPhone. <laughs> That doesn't seem like why that's crazy for something that you walk around with every day and think about. And if you're missing it for a minute, you're like, shit, where's my phone? I lost my phone. You panic a little bit yep. because you're addicted to it. Um, why isn't it in our dreams? That's just, it's like very, that I don't have an answer for. Wh- that's just a question. Wh- why do you think it's not there? I have no idea. I have absolutely no idea. Yeah. It's, it's a bizarre, I don't understand that. Um, I do think that people feel a little bit trapped by this stuff. Mm-hmm. Younger people, especially who spend more of their time on it. Um, are, are, they seem screwed to me. Like I, I grew up, uh, I think we're about the same age. I grew up and like people started getting cell phones in high school. Yeah. Right. And uh, my mom was like very much, Hey, you're going to get one later than everyone else. This is back when cell phones were just cell phones. They yes. were just phones. Like a, the razor. Yeah. Yeah, you huge text as well. Huge deal when somebody got the razor, right? Mm-hmm. Like, oh, shit, you're whatever. And then the sidekick, you could slide it open. And here's the like Nokia because it had snake on it. <laughs> right? So there's like three or four phones that if you grew up in this general time frame, like once everyone got one, it was like cool thing. Uh, but like you texted barely because it was T9, so you had to like click through everything. Mm-hmm. It was a pain in the ass. Uh, and you made phone calls. And like that was it. But 
if we grew up and like every time you did anything in high school and even in college and everyone whipped out their phone, like they were the paparazzi, like it'd be a lot more people. Canceled. I remember it, when I was in high school, a kid created a message board for, it was, we, there were three high schools in my town and this kid at one of our rival high schools created a message board for all of the local high schools where kids could go and, and just talk to each other. And it created such tremendous drama that they, I don't even know how this is legal, but they forced them to shut it down. And it was just, it was like, I mean, this, we're talking about like months and months and months of buildup, uh, uh, of dramatic buildup before finally it ended. And, and now we live in a world where that's just, it you can't shut it down. That's how we live. Well, you think like how early kids get cell phones now, if you're 12, 14 years old and you get a cell phone, you're on TikTok and you're Mm -hmm. on Instagram, like you're screwed. Right, like your entire view of the world is. I warped. keep looking for. I mean, there have to be. There are trade offs always. It seems in technology. I, I think that what I was not prepared for, something that I was wrong about, um, when social media first bubbled up, I was like, I was very much a tech, a blind tech op. Not blind, but I thought everything was better. Mm-hmm. Everything was getting better. Everything was better than it was. Everything was getting better. Um, I had no. I just didn't. I, I thought that that all warnings of social media and whatnot. I thought, I thought it was all just, um, propaganda, anti, anti business, anti tech propaganda. Um, none of the predictions were right. They were, they were all like, it's going to, it's, it's terrible in ways that, and we're, it's not, that was not right, but there were negative externalities and there are negative externalities probably in every technological mm-hmm. development. Um, you think it changes people's brain chemistry? I think that when you change the reward structure in your life, it's changing your, it's changing you fundamentally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're, you're definitely changing. Um, I don't know if it like physically changes your brain. I'm not a, not a brain guy, but, um, you gotta bring in a neuroscientist. I think for this conversation, you don't have to be a brain guy, I mean, but I know Tom that Tom Cruise is, was calling it out way before everyone else. And he was right about everything. <laughs> this episode is brought to you by FTX US. They're the safe regulated way to buy and sell Bitcoin and other digital assets. Trade crypto with up to 85% lower fees than the top competitors. There are no fixed minimums, no ACH transaction fees, and no withdrawal fees. Download the FTX app today and use referral code POMP to earn free crypto on every trade over $10. The more you trade, the more you earn. Go download the FTX app today and use referral code POMP. This episode is brought to you by BCB Group. With a dedicated focus on institutional payment services, BCB Group provides business banking, cryptocurrency and foreign exchange market liquidity for many of the world's largest crypto-engaged financial institutions. The BCB business accounts allow businesses to load fiat currency and cryptocurrencies for payments, operations, and trading purposes. BCB's Blink Network is the European crypto industry's first instant settlements network and one of the first real-time payment networks of its kind to allow free real-time transactions across fiat and digital currencies. BCB's vision is to empower the global financial revolution through sustainable and innovative banking. Find out more by visiting bcbgroup.com slash pomp today. bcbgroup.com slash pomp. This is it. This is, I mean, this is, Tom Cruise is really, I wrote about this in Pirate. This is, so in a, a piece called um, Dark Plots and Secret Explanations in, uh, in Pirate Wires, I wrote about Tom Cruise. I, I, this is how I, this is like part of my process is, um, you know, I'm sort of, we used to say surf the web. It was such a great yeah. phrase. And that, that is kind of, I'm out there 
I'm like the equivalent sailing. of Caribbean pirate versus Somali pirate, right? Is like you can go on the internet or you could surf the web. Surf yeah, the web sounds way yeah, better. yeah. I'm I'm surfing. <laughs> I'm cruising. I'm chill. I'm on my little. I'm on my pirate ship, just like chilling out, like like laughing, sh- looking at all the insanity. And then every now and then, um, something happens that feels like it represents a lot more. And Tom Cruise in 2005. Um, appeared on the Today Show to talk about War of the Worlds, which I just assumed bombed. No, it was one of the most popular movies ever. It was his most popular movie until for the last 15 years, huge box office success um, until now, until uh, the newest uh, Top, Gun. Top Gun movie. Um, 2005, he appears on the Today Show with Matt Lauer. And this is in this sort of moment in which he's been framed as pretty crazy by the media in America. I mean, I thought he, everyone thought he was crazy. Yeah, was Scientology. In, I think I was in, yeah, I was in college. And I mean, talking about crazy Tom Cruise was a thing that people did. Yeah, Scientology was there, but also he, uh, he had just a month prior to this interview with Matt Lauer, he jumped up on a couch on the Oprah show and talked about how much he loved Katie Holmes. Um, and in hindsight, I look back, I'm like, I, I watched the interview and it just looks like he's being like a crazy actor guy, I, I, it didn't, it doesn't seem unhinged to me. I mean, I think, I think part of that's because there's so much unhinged behavior around us now that I look back at that and I'm like, that's just a guy. That's, like, just, that's, that's what people that's are just what they about. do. That's just like how we all do it now. Um, but he is in, he's on his sort of like tour of crazy. And uh, so he goes on the Today Show. He talks about World of the Worlds for like five minutes. And Matt Lauer is like, cool. So you, you said, I forget the actress's name. Um, you sort of criticized her for being on antidepressant medicine. And, um, that's messed up. They like respond before the national, the entire nation, which is wild that that's what they used to do. Right. Like crazy. What do you think? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like you're here. I mean, that's even to this day. I mean, it's always your movie or your book is just an excuse to get you on yes. the show. And then it's like, now tell me about your personal life. But Tom Cruise's personal life was a little more interesting at that point because of the Scientology stuff, because mm-hmm. of his new bride. Was she like coerced into marrying him. I mean, there are all sorts of crazy rumors. Um, and he had these really extreme views about psychology mm-hmm. um, or psychiatry, uh, which is that it is pseudoscientific bullshit. Um, and he just said, you know, there's absolutely no scientific evidence um, supporting the notion that depression is caused. The root of depression is uh, a chemical imbalance in the brain. Um, which at the time was accepted scientific. Well, here's fact. the thing. It wasn't okay. Like everyone said that. And that was the accepted thing. It was, you are crazy. How dare you say this? Unbelievable. But what just happened? So th- this, this interview resurfaced where he, in which he says, you know, there's no evidence for this. Uh, and then, I mean, there are endless articles about how crazy he is, how dangerous this was. Um, study comes out, an umbrella review of all of the studies on this subject over the last, you know, several decades. And what it concludes is not that depression isn't caused by a chemical imbalance in the brain. We don't know what causes depression. What, what the conclusion that we have is that there's no evidence for that. Mm -hmm. And there hasn't ever been. And that's, it, it was a huge deal. Everyone was like, wait a minute, Tom Cruise clip resurfaces from 15 years ago, 17 years ago. Uh, and suddenly we have this weird conversation about experts. And what I thought, I mean, this is my this is my jam. I love to write about this kind of stuff in the contemporary world. Like I, I love to talk about when the experts are wrong and some random asshole on Reddit was right. Um, but this struck me as different because the conversation 
on looking back, I remembered it as being crazy. I remembered him seeming crazy and rude, and it was like this wild thing. If you watch the interview now, it's so calm and normal. And Tom is definitely like, you need to educate yourself to Matt Lauer, which is accurate. Um, but he wasn't crazy. He wasn't yelling. He, he, he wasn't, uh, he wasn't saying anything that was completely untethered from reality. It was a very regular sort of conversation mm -hmm. about studies that he had read. And, um, I, it, it was shocking to me to realize the treatment of him back then as compared to to the world we live in now because we have this sense that the entire world is like uniquely hostile to dissent. You know, everyone's constantly talking about cancel culture. I myself am talking about this kind of stuff. You know, uh, there's all this sort of pressure from the establishment to silence the voices of dissent. Uh, they're using social media platforms to do this. I believe that all of this is true, but culturally, actually, things are much more open to dissent now than they were 17 years ago. Um, I didn't, I just didn't, I didn't realize that the, the, mm -hmm. the culture has changed, uh, in a huge way. And, um, the Tom Cruise's of the world are now yeah, completely normalized. There are any number of them. This is sort of that, this is sort of, yeah. uh, the, the legacy of Tom Cruise. I've seen, I've seen uh, Brett Weinstein and a couple of other folks kind of talk uh, in certain situations where like, look, a lot of the scientific studies or the consensus view and maybe even like the virtue signaling that comes out of some of those communities, uh, a lot of times it's based on like, hey, we ran some studies and uh, we don't know what the answer is. So like, it must be this other thing. It must be a chemical imbalance in the brain. Right. Yes, we don't have evidence, but like we've tried all these other things. So like, what else could it be? When also it just worked. So the, so the drugs do seem to work. I don't want to say that the drugs don't work, right? Like, mm -hmm. like it does seem for many people, the drugs do help. Um, the drugs are a chemical. And so you must be missing some chemical or something, right? It's mm -hmm. like, yeah, you just. It's you, like process of elimination without the actual confirmation of a of a scientific study that proves, yes, this is true. I think we also just have this really wrong belief that we know everything. Mm -hmm. We even know most things. The idea that you go into the doctor and the doctor is just going to know what's wrong with you, you internalize that as a little kid is like that's the way the world works. We know most things. We have medicine and you take a pill and then your bad thing goes away. And I mean, as I've gotten older, I don't know about you, but like I've been to the doctor a couple of times where they don't know what's wrong with me. And it's not a huge thing, but it's like, this is disorienting. What do you mean you don't know? Uh, and then I, I even had one case where, I mean, we tried a few different drugs and like nothing really worked and multiple tests, multiple doctors. And, you know, I'm fine now. This was years ago, but th that was a, a really shocking moment for me. It, it was like, yeah, I, again, I rationally, I understand that these people are not gods and uh, there are lots of things that they don't know and they're not perfect. And there are lots of things that we as a people don't know. But emotionally, I think I'm still carrying that sort of childhood sense of, of like, these are the people in charge mm -hmm. and they know stuff and they're the good ones and we have to listen to them. Like that's still in my gut and it's hard to shake. Um, and you have to shake it because it's not true. Like there are all sorts of things that we don't know. I would say we don't know most things. And uh, I mean, I was at a doctor a couple of years ago where he was trying to figure out what I had. I suggested something and he was like, hmm, uh, I've never actually, uh, I've never seen that before. So I'm going to do some research and get back to you. And I'm like, do you mean like, like you're going to Google it? And he said, yes. <laughs> I was like, what? That's crazy. Why am I here? It was, in, it was just insane to me. Um, but that's, a, that's, you know, that's most experts. Uh, my brother 
uh, as a doctor. And so I've seen him and kind of his classmates and everything over the years uh, go through the process. And uh, my brother's obviously in incredibly intelligent. Um, and I always ask him as like a gut check on like the healthcare system, like, hey, evaluate like people you come in contact with and like the hospitals or the doctors or whatever. And he's like, well, it's like everything, you know, like there's some incredibly intelligent, like I'd trust them with my life. There's other people, you couldn't pay me to go see them, right? Yeah. And so like you get the dispersion and I think this is where you end up, uh, uh, even if you look like here in Miami, like um, uh, there's certain healthcare facilities that people are like, this is amazing, right? Like everyone should go here. And there's other ones where literally it's like, oh, everyone that goes there dies, <laughs> right? <laughs> and, and like when you think about it, you're like, holy shit, but that's not unique to any geography. Like if you go to, especially in small towns, yeah. if you go, like people are just, they don't have confidence, right? And it's because of these experiences where they're talking to a doctor and doctors know the answer, or they believe that something, uh, there was medical treatment and uh, there was wrong decisions made and there was a bad outcome, whether it's, you know, unfortunately death or, you know, something less severe. But you start realizing you're like, nobody, it's not that nobody knows nothing. It's just that like, the level of expertise that we assign in many different fields is nowhere near what in our minds we hope it is. Yeah, and I think the big difference between today and 20 years ago is now people are just logging onto the internet and disproving things that the experts are telling them. Uh, and I think what you're saying is right. there are people who are just very smart and very competent and probably should be in charge. Great, love it. Would love for them to actually be in charge. The problem is that we're a huge country and we need a lot of doctors and we need a lot of uh, government officials and we need a lot of uh, you know people working in business or what. I mean, every every sort of aspect of the society. You know, you need a lot of people. Um, most people are not that good, and so you're going to have a, a lot of experiences with people who who suck. And every time you do, and then you go and you prove that they're wrong yourself, it chips away at this idea that there are people in charge and that they are good, and that makes you feel sort of ungrounded, like mm -hmm. untethered to the world. Like you feel nervous, like you're living in a world of chaos. That is, I think, it's a very internet kind of phenomena. Um, there was this AP article that came out, Dark Plots. It was, uh, what was it? it? It was like, it was just like more Americans are believing in conspiracy theories, dark plots, and secret explanations. And they go into this very sort of breathless warning about what's going on. And uh, they say, you know, like more than ever, Americans are turning away from scientific experts and government officials and the media. And, and basically they're turning to the internet to talk to these like crackpot, crazy Alex Jones types people. Um, well, in the first place, like Alex Jones has been wrong about stuff, but he's also been right about some stuff. And eventually America's going to have to deal with that. Um, in the second, what I was more interested in was this concept they can't let go of, which is that they are in some way deserving mm -hmm. of authority after years of proving that they are not. Um, that, that is over. The, the world in which we all just blindly follow along with the hegemony, or the, the sort of like hegemonic media powers, um, that's just, it's gone. The ship has sailed. What's going to happen increasingly is people are going to be uh, interested in looking for single individuals who they trust to help them make sense of the chaos. Mm -hmm. And uh, this is the success of Joe Rogan. This is like really what he does is he's fun. He People connect with him personally. And then he's sort of on air uh, fact-checking things and, 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 and sort of navigating complicated topics that are interesting 
um, with a guest and he's sort of like getting to the bottom of stuff, which mm. is how we all feel. It's every scary thing that happens in the world uh, that actually affects our life. So COVID was a great example of this where you have to get to the bottom of it and you can't trust the people who are telling you shit because you keep catching them in lies. So where do you go? And you go to the internet and you start Googling around and you find some crazy person who's telling you it's like a microchip um, of uh, the vaccines a microchip by Bill Gates or whatever. And then you talk, you see, you see someone who's maybe like, okay, it's probably not a microchip, but here's what the studies that I've read and here's what I think. And um, I mean, that's, that's the future is we got to, we're going to, we're going to be finding for better or worse. I'm not saying this is better. Uh, this is just, this is the world that we're heading towards. I'm writing a piece right now. I'm going to publish it before this comes out. Uh, I'm pretty sure um, called digital osmosis theory. And the entire idea is that in the analog world, we trusted institutions and experts. And when we moved online, there was literally osmosis. Like we went from high density of where we perceived knowledge and, and uh, uh, kind of uh, value, and it has migrated and transitioned to now this decentralized internet of information where if you have a topic, whether it's COVID or anything else, and you ask the average American, do you trust the institution or do you trust what you can find on the internet? More and more people are picking the internet over the institution. And some of it is because over time they've lost faith or trust because they've seen the mistakes. But also the amount of value and quality on the internet has skyrocketed. Because yeah. now all of a sudden, I don't know, during COVID, like there are a lot of people on there. I was like, oh, you're the head of, you know, viral studies at whatever university. Yes. Like, I like the fact that I can read what you think, right? <laughs> Rather than have somebody else try to just publish it in the New York Times. All of the answers that we actually, that people, that we have, like every true thing that exists, that is known and exists, is online. Mm -hmm. The problem is just navigating all of that information. Mm -hmm. There's too much of it. We have, an, we have a overwhelming amount of information that you'll never be able to navigate. And most of it is just crazy. Um, like made up stuff and uh, just political. Uh, everyone, and there's propaganda everywhere. Everyone does it, I think, without even realizing it. People sort of spin things and, uh, and frame things in certain ways that end up being misleading. Um, so the problem is search. And I don't, there's no technological tool right now to help us with this. And so people are just going to fall back on what they've done for thousands of years, which is they ask the person who seems to like care the most about the news mm -hmm. what's going on. That's mm -hmm. like always what it is. Even in elections, this has always been the case in our lives. There's like one person or two in a friend group that are actually p paying attention. Mm -hmm. And come election time, everyone's like, yo, so uh, who are you voting for? What's going on? What, like, what should I care about? I, I get this all the time. Like in San Francisco, that friend? for local politics, I'm that friend. People uh, come to me and it's I'm like, yeah, here's everything that I think. Um, but here's what you should read also. Like, I mean, here's where the people are talking about it. Here's where these dramas are happening, but people don't, they don't pay attention. I don't blame them. It's a nightmare way to live. Um, being so like super plugged in. When, when we were kids, uh, and growing up, uh, there's a lot of like scary things online or, or whatever you would like find a, a headline somewhere. You'd be like, wow, that's kind of crazy, whatever. Now I don't think that we're really that shocked by the headlines. Cause it's kind of, uh, we've seen so many shocking headlines, like, you know, Trump tweeted at, uh, um, uh, the North Korean uh, government essentially and was like literally like little rocket man. Yeah. Right. And like, again, going back to like this, like almost you can't believe is real, but here we are. Um, but now what I find the scariest or like the most shocking is not the headlines. It's like when you go read the source material, 
because one of two things happens. Either you read the source material and you're like, whoa, this is a ridiculously big deal. Like, I can't believe they said, you know, ABC, whatever. Or it's, you read the source material and then you look back at the headline and you're like, it's mostly that. <laughs> like, like how did this headline come out of this piece of source yeah, material? It's mostly like a weird study of 10, if it's a medical thing, it's like, you know, 60 people were studied and it's not conclusive. And the headline's like, you know, diabetes is caused by rare fungus found on French fries from McDonald's or something insane. And it's like, it's not accurate. Is is accurate? It's like just accurate enough to not be sued in America, which <laughs> in a which is a country where it is like famously difficult to be sued for saying stupid shit. Um, like that's that's the, the kind of media dynamic. There's a thing in the uh, in the Bitcoin community. Um, there's a study uh, that happened in Nigeria. It's self-reported. And they surveyed, I think it's like 1,000 to 4,000 uh, Nigerians. Uh, and they asked them, how many of you have used or hold Bitcoin or cryptocurrencies? And the claim of the study is 32% of Nigerians use crypto. And so like, doesn't take that long to quickly figure out, okay, there's like 200 plus million people in Nigeria. Yeah. It's growing at a pace where by 2050, there'd be more Nigerians than Americans. And so that's like a big number. You don't even have to be a mathematician, right? You just know <laughs> tens of millions of people. And then you look and you're like, but the estimate is that there's like 150 million people globally that use the technologies. And you're like, so a third of all the people are Nigerian. Are Nigerian? Like something seems off and I'm yeah. going to go with the it sampling a of a thousand to 4,000 people yeah. <laughs> as like the, the error here. Mm -hmm. uh, and so like, by the way, like directionally is probably correct. Right. So you can say like, okay, there's high internet penetration, mobile phone penetration. Like they have a failing currency. Like, yes, it probably does have a higher than normal uh, penetration use of the technology. I wouldn't hang my hat on the 32% being like the number. Mm -hmm. And it feels like if that's happening in a study that frankly doesn't really matter in the grand scheme of like your health, my health, uh, the way we live our lives, whatever, like well, what's happening in like the medical environment, what's happening yeah. in these other areas. I think so th this what process that you're going through right here, I mean, this is any time that you want to understand something, this is the way that you do it. And it's usually like you talk to a friend about it. You read the headline, you dig in a little bit. My friend uh, uh, and colleague, Aaron Gleason, at Founders Fund, she runs PR. Like we, we always are talking about stories together and it's like back in the day there were the diversity studies and it was it was stuff like um, that had to do with uh, uh, disparity in, in gender pay and things like this. And and so the article would, would, would come out with sort of like really wild headline about women making like 30% like less than men or something and you'd be like, wait a minute, like what, what actually is happening here? Mm -hmm. And that's when we both got in the habit of really, this was like back in 2017 when I think uh, Me Too was happening mm -hmm. and um, just clicking into every single study, like reading exactly what people were talking about. But that that process is increasingly normalized across, across the culture. It's like you have two options, either be a detective or just don't know what's going on. And I think a lot of people are, are fine. Most people are fine. Just not know it's not knowing, uh, what's going on, but they do want to know someone who's a detective mm -hmm. and they want to be able to dip in, uh, or, or do they want to be able to check in with that person and be like, Hey, did you see this crazy headline? That can't be real. Is that real? Um, and then that detective puts on their little detective hat and and answers the questions for them. But but I think like, so there's some topics for sure, right? San Francisco politics, perfect example. Like it's a thing that people in San Francisco really care about. Maybe there's some other folks who are like, you see San Francisco as like uh, the city on the hill for woke politics and like, does this experiment work <laughs> or not or, or whatever. And so like, there's some group of people who care, but like in the grand scheme of the seven plus billion people in the world, like nobody really cares, right? So 
you, from a time investment standpoint, uh, you do want to have that friend, right? But then there's like what I'll call the normalization of like the conspiracy theories right. that's now entering the mainstream conversation. And so uh, let's use, you know, the administration, uh, the White House uh, recently came out and was like, a recession is not two quarters of negative GDP growth. Yeah. And you're like, okay, uh, I don't think that's right, <laughs> but let me go to the internet, right? And kind of you start the detective process. And what you find is like, there was, uh, uh, the first question I had was like, okay, cool. What is the definition? Yeah. And then the answer was basically like, oh, there's like this organization, uh, the national bureau of economic research. You're like, sounds made up, but okay. Uh, and they're like, and they just tell us when there's a recession (laughs) (laughs) and you're like, well, what's their criteria? Right. And then it's like, well, we look at a confluence of factors and list like 20 different things. And they're like, it's fives. Yeah. And then we just like, we'll tell you when there's a recession and you're like, Okay, so like basically the definition of a recession is no longer two consecutive negative GDP quarters. It's now like when these people say it's a recession, it's a recession. <laughs> okay, who works there, right? Like like you start like going down and you like end up in a real bad place very quickly and like the trust in institutions like falls off a cliff. But you're like, all right, fine, whatever. Whether it's labeled a recession or not, at the end of the day, like small businesses, big businesses, investors, consumers, whatever, they're going to like act how they psychologically feel the, the economy. So kind of vibes, right? Mm-hmm. But then they go on national television and they're like, not only is it not a recession, but like it's never been a recession, yeah. right? And like they like double and triple and quadruple down. And like to some journalist credit, like some people are like, uh, I have a question, uh-huh. <laughs> right? And they, and they ask. Other journalists are just like, oh, we're actually just PR. Like we're just going to regurgitate the state talking points, whatever. But then you get on Twitter. And Twitter is uh, the Super Bowl of internet detectives. Oh, yeah. What's war? It's information. The whole culture is information war, but Twitter is – Twitter is the arena where – Yeah, it's the Coliseum. Yeah, that's where the combat takes yeah. place. <laughs> and so, of course, you get in and, like, you kind of log in and you're just like, I'm not going to type in recession in the search bar. Not going to do it. Not going to do it. Five minutes later, I'm definitely not going to do it. Ten minutes later, fuck it. And you type it in and you go – and the very first thing I see just like going absolute mega viral is like 38 Wikipedia entry updates to the recession page. And now it's locked. Yeah. And you're like, that could be a whole bunch of different things that are going on there. But like that's in the last two days since these talking points came out. Well, yeah, it's war. I mean, Wikipedia is a battleground just like the dictionary is a battleground. Um, Explain that. I mean, you literally, you have the dictionary literally changing the definitions for words in the middle of hotly debated uh, sort of concepts in the, in the country. So uh, famously, Amy Comey Barrett, um, in her court hearing, her congressional hearing before she was nominated, or before she was uh, put on the court, back when she was nominated, uh, she, she used the phrase sexual preference. And immediately a journalist uh, for I think the Huffington Post, I forget where he works. I always see his face floating around the internet. Um, he's like, this is, you know, outrageous. This is uh, a huge insult. It's not a preference. It's like blah, 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 blah. This is outdated, offensive language. Um, I'm gay and I did not know it was offensive. I was like, <laughs> uh, this is news to me. I've never heard that before. I've definitely heard people use the phrase sexual preference up to, you know, like, the last week, probably like, I mean, less than maybe I used to, but it's, it's not, it's not, we're not dropping, you know, a slur here. This is like a a phrase that is said, um, huge debate because 
one of the the congressmen uh, then brings this into the hearing and is like, you just said something extremely offensive. Um, apologize, basically. Uh, Barrett does. And then Merriam-Webster's dictionary changes the definition of sexual preference and includes now it says, you know, this is an offensive piece of, this is now, it's now an uh, offensive thing to say. Um, so any conversation about, you know, did she or did she not say something offensive? It just, it's like, well, let's, let's look at the dictionary. What does the dictionary have to say? And the dictionary says, um, well, the dictionary says that it votes for Democrats, obviously that's, I mean, I, I don't like, and this is, I wrote about this at the time. I was like, I don't, like knowing what political party my dictionary votes for. Mm -hmm. And that is how Wikipedia is as well. It's like, these are battlegrounds now for concepts, but there are lots of words and, and definitions that have changed over the last two years. It's like sexual preference, preference, uh, female vaccine, anti-vaxxer. Anti-vaxxer was a crazy one because anti the, the definition of anti-vaxxer changed from someone who doesn't take vaccines, who thinks all vaccines are bad, whatever, to someone who doesn't want a vaccine mandate was included in, in, in anti-vaxxers. Suddenly, the definition changed in such a way as a, as a thing that I thought was stupid my whole life, I suddenly was. I was suddenly the definition of an anti-vaxxer. Um, and that's the landscape, that's the terrain, is the, the place where we go for source material, if it's, if it's, I mean, it doesn't matter who controls it, if it's controlled by an organization or if it's, if, or if it's crowdsourced, all of it is part of, of an information war. We don't have analog encyclopedias anymore. We don't have analog dictionaries. There's no, there's no like trusted, unchanging source that we can go to. People say Bitcoin fixes this. I'm waiting for the solution. I would love to see it. Haven't seen it yet. Um, right now we're living in a world of malleable information that is manipulated for obvious political intent, like constantly, every day. Um, it's just, it's literally an information war. And uh, the ground is sort of shifting underneath our feet. I tweeted um, something to the effect of like, you should be fearful when they try to nationalize the dictionary. Mm -hmm. And like, I, I tweet a lot of things that was like a off the dome, just, you know, type it, send it, whatever. Uh, I've probably haven't gotten more text messages about a tweet than that one in a long time. And I was just like, why do y'all care? So like, like, duh. Right. Like, of course. And it was people being like, they're not nationalizing the dictionary. Mm -hmm. It wasn't people being like, okay, yes, I agree. Like we should be fearful of that. It was immediately jumping to the, like, are they doing it or not? And I was like, you guys already lost. Like if we're already having the debate or like, are they doing it or not is You're, basically proving the point. I mean, there's no, what my question is, what's the difference? I mean, the dictionary already works for the state. It already works for the establishment. This is, you have a, a few people who agree with the political consensus and they're in charge of the dictionaries. That's just what it is. And, and they're going to change online forever. I mean, I have at home, hardbound, like a hard copy dictionary and encyclopedia. Uh, they don't make them anymore. So it's old. It's like, yeah, boomer. it's like 2000. And <laughs> I bought it on, I mean, I bought it a few years ago. I, I bought it during, uh, the Amy Comey, Be Coney Barrett thing. Like I, 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 that shook me. I was like, no, no, sir. <laughs> I need a, an encyclopedia. And it's, I like that it's dated pre 
social media penetration. It's like, it's like, uh, in the matrix where they just choose 1999 as the year that like, yep. that was the last or the n- late nineties. They were like, that's, that's when everything went downhill after that. It got super technological and everything fell apart. Um, and so they just simulate that world forever. I'm now living in that. It's like a, an information simulation of just before the chaos began. I mean, the truth is I still get most of my information online, yeah, but course. I've got the encyclopedia there. Uh, if I'm really confused and you can look back and just see how things are changing. It's basically um, a snapshot of how people used words and definitions, and then you can see how far we stray from Sure, and language time. changes, of course. It, it always changes. It has always changed, especially the English language is an especially malleable language. It, it, it incorporates a lot. Um, what's different is the speed at which things are changing mm-hmm. because it's now happening just in real time on a whim based on a court hearing that a bunch of Democrats want to use as a weapon. Mm-hmm. And that's fucked up. And um, it's going to get worse. This episode is brought to you by Bullish. They've reinvented the digital asset exchange. They give you access to DeFi features like automated market making and liquidity pools in a regulated environment. It's a whole new way to generate alpha. Bullish's total trading volumes have exceeded $25 billion just in the seven months since it launched. And their industry-leading order depth means you can trade confidently when you want, at scale with better pricing and lower risk, all within a regulated market environment. Good reason to be bullish. Learn more at bullish.com pomp and follow at bullish on Twitter today. This episode is brought to you by Valor, which represents what's next in the digital economy. They provide simplified trusted access in crypto, decentralized finance, and Web3 investment opportunities. Institutions and investors can gain diversified, secure, compliant, and easily tradable access to a diversified set of industry-leading equity products and protocols, all through a single stock purchase on a regulated exchange. They currently are listed in the U.S. under the DEFTF stock ticker and on the Canadian NEO exchange under DEFI. For more information or to subscribe to receive company updates and financial information, visit their website at valor.com. That's V-A-L-O-U-R.com. Let's talk about this idea of like, I'm offended, right? So uh, you could have an entire group of people that could be tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions, tens of millions, hundreds of millions of people. And it seems like now we live in a society where if one person in that group says that they're offended by something, it becomes truth. Like if one person says, sexual preference is offensive. Everyone else is just like, okay. One Guardian writer just said that the word spaz was offensive and Beyonce had to change her song. That's crazy to me. I looked at her profile. She's this, uh, she's a disabled writer on disability and she writes about disabilities. um, And she had like a couple thousand followers. And I I was like, today, this woman is more powerful than Beyonce (laughs) because she was offended. Yeah, it's wild. But also- all Beyonce had to say was, I'm not changing the song, bitch. And everyone would have been fine with it. So, I mean, at the end of the day, it's like, it's, it's, it's in your hands. Like, like, do the offended people really have this much power or, or are most people just cowards? Do you think the playbook when somebody goes after, like the cancel culture, we'll, we'll use that as a, a generalized term. When cancel culture comes for somebody, the playbook now has been pioneered, whether it was by the Trumps of the world, uh, people on social media. Uh, it's just no, just like literally like just stand your ground, say no, and they go away. Yeah. I think it certainly is. Like I was saying earlier, I think, I think it's like anyone who's, it becomes a, it becomes hard when people who are more inclined to af- being offended are, in your sort of, they're part of your fan base. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and that's not a problem that I have. And so Me I don't, either. and so I don't worry about it. Uh, but if you are Ocasio Cortez, you should worry about it. You know, if you're, if you're an entertainer, um, or a singer with a ton of young people on TikTok who are obsessed with the the language of offense, then it's going to be a more challenging equation for you to, mm-hmm. to figure out. Uh, I do think that, well, listen, culture is, is changed. And this is something that I'm, I, I was writing about, you know, this, this, this last piece, I, I was writing about this a little bit, um, the sort of shocking realization that we, there's more room now, now than there's ever been for dissent. Um, there are whole funding apparatuses for it. Like you can make a living off of it. I think culture is on the side of people pushing back against this stuff. The problem mm-hmm. is wokeness controls everything. I mean, there, it is it is infected. I wouldn't say controls, but it, it has infected every edifice of power in, in the country, uh, you know, from the military to your local office of, you know, small business, whatever the fuck, to the largest tech companies in the world. Um, well, at least in a, the largest American tech companies in the world, Chinese tech companies are not woke. Um, I always wonder this. I always wonder, uh, I, I always used to wonder what we used to have all these, we still have all these diversity reports um, that, that the tech press does. I'm like, where's, the, why aren't we doing these for the giant Chinese tech companies? Why is no one, why is no one interested in that? It's always, it's always just ours. Um, or, or why are people not talking about how, uh, according to the studies I've seen, the media companies are uh, less diverse than the tech companies. Yes. Yeah. It's like no one, no one cares about that one as much. I mean, people talk about it every now and then, but it doesn't land. It's like they're, it's tech that they're coming for. Uh, but let's is, that is, is that because money and power have like uh, kind of flowed to these tech companies? And uh, it's the idea of like, they used to go after Wall Street uh, very aggressively because that's where money and power is flowing. Now it's tech. It'll be something else in the future. Well, I don't think they actually believe in any of these concepts or, or care about them. I think that they just don't like business. These are these are mostly writers. They're not making much money. They are suspicious of power, which I think is a good thing, uh, and suspicious of like capitalism, which I think is a bad thing. Um, and their natural enemy is business. Their natural enemies are the people they cover. Uh, they do clock us, I think, correctly. They clock the tech industry correctly as, as very powerful and deserving of criticism. I agree with that. I think that what they're critiquing is not what I'm critiquing. They're critiquing, I'm critiquing abuses of power, in my opinion, uh, specifically on social media and things like this, the censorship mm-hmm. stuff. I think when you control the entire town square, you, you have, I think you actually do have a responsibility to appear American values, things like some semblance of open, uh, of, of openness and free speech. They're not critiquing stuff like that. They don't care about that. They don't, contr- they don't care about all of the control that a censor would, would naturally have. Um, they're critiquing like the concept of these things. Uh, they don't believe in that. That's their problem. It's like business conceptually. So that's where, where we part ways. Um, but back to wokeness. I mean, I mean, in terms of, of, of like where, what's been, been infected and, and where the culture is, all of these things have been, been infected to some degree, but, co- but the actual culture is just, for me, the counter, counterculture eventually becomes culture. So what is the, mm-hmm. where's the counterculture and the counterculture on the left and right, you know, Bernie bros are just as anti-woke as, as most, you know, uh, people on the right at this point. Um, it's all pushing back against the cultural authoritarianism. 
And that to me is a really good sign. Uh, it's like, those were where the strongest wins are. And so that's where content's going to be created. And that's going to drive, I think, a lot of this back. I, I don't know how much damage has been done at this point. Like, mm -hmm. what is irreversible, what's not? But it, it does just feel like the, the culture has shifted completely. Is this why Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos both have started to be much more vocal online about yes. politics and their kind of getting ahead of what is perceived to be some big red wave in the midterm elections and, and culture is shifting. And so they're going to be out in front of that to benefit. Five years ago, there was no cancel culture discourse, right? It was a few people would, would, would do something. There'd be some little bit of pushback. The reason there was no discourse was because it actually had power. Like the, the, the wokeness was at its, I think, zenith in mm -hmm. 2017. You had a, a quick flashback that was more powerful than ever in the summer of 2020. But but for the most part, things had, had changed at that point. The reason you have so many people talking about this stuff now is because you actually can. Because America is on that side. Most The, the majority of people, regardless of politics, don't like hall monitors. Mm -hmm. They don't like to be told what to say, how to think. Uh, they, don't, they, they can feel language changing rapidly. They don't like being punished for not using the right words. They don't like people losing their jobs forever for a tweet. Like they, they, it's, people don't like this shit. And, uh, and yeah, it's, it's definitely, I think a lot, it's still dangerous, honestly. I mean, you, people are losing their jobs still. Um, especially again, if you're in, in, in entertainment or you work at a giant tech company, it is actually still dangerous to say, to speak your mind. But I, I think that, that has to change. I think it's, I think that that has to change. What about like the use of tactics? So one of the most fascinating things, uh, that I've seen play out over the last, I don't know, a couple of months is, uh, on one side, uh, there was a gentleman who was arrested. Now I'll probably get the details wrong, but, but my understanding of it was a gentleman showed up, uh, or was on the way to a Supreme court justice's house with, I believe a gun. Right. And, from what, everything I read, it was like he was going to go try to assassinate him. Yeah, I think then he, he might have turned himself in. And though. like called the cops. And yeah, it, was it was like, it was crazy. Hey, I'm here. I don't know how I got here. You know, th yeah. th there was something that happened, but like man, gun, Supreme Court justice, not a good situation. Yeah. And then on the other side, uh, there's this guy from Texas. I, I think he's a comedian or maybe he's just got like some internet show. Uh, he's gone viral a million times because he goes to like the local city council and he sings and he dances. He, he acts like, uh, you know, an idiot. I've and, seen and, one of those viral videos. And he's basically saying like, this is ridiculous. You're going to give me two minutes. Like I'm going to make a, a big deal about it. Uh, but he went to Washington, D.C., and he was on the steps of one of the buildings. AOC's walking in and uh, he basically was – yelling at her and commenting on, I think her, her clothes or her, her, her butt or, or whatever it was. Right. He said, I think he said, I love that big Latina ass or something. W whatever he said. Right. It, and so like in those two situations, like I think you, I, and like 99% of people would be like, Hey, in a normal society for a private citizen, like harassing them in any form or fashion is just like fucked up. Right. Like just leave people alone. Yeah. Go about your life, do whatever. Now, when it comes to public figures, right, there's this whole idea of like, hey, we should hold people in power accountable. We should be suspicious of things. Uh, and there's probably like what you're allowed to do. And then there's like a tasteful way of doing things. And sometimes those things overlap and sometimes like they don't. I think threats of violence, jail, go directly to jail. Do mm -hmm. not collect $200. <laughs> you're going to prison. You're staying there for as long as possible. Like I have no tolerance for that shit. Mm -hmm. Um saying mean things to 
people in power, specifically elected power, I have no sympathy for people who are like, oh my God, I'm so sad. They said this mean thing. You're a congresswoman and you're like the most powerful one. Um, I, there's no insults too horrific. And I hate that shit. That was, it was gross. Um, but I don't care. I, like that's just not something that's gonna, that's gonna move. Uh, so, so like if, if, if we kind of f- go through this like meandering river thought process, right. Is, so you have those two, which I, I think most people would generally agree that like, Hey, words versus like threats of violence mm-hmm. are different and whatever. Then you get like, I saw online, there was a tweet where somebody had taken AOC being like, the whole point of protesting is make people uncomfortable. Right. Right. And so like, yeah, she's a hypocrite. One guy sitting there with his video camera, like yelling things, which, which by the way, like I wouldn't say that. Right. Like, I don't think 99% of people would have gone there and done that or said that, but like he did. Okay. Uh, there's a little like hypocritical component, but then it was like the crown jewel, which I saw you tweeting about was there was a protest and a couple of congresswomen or fake handcuffs. Yes. Where (laughs) I saw a headline that said they got arrested. Oh yeah. Then I saw the video and I was like, that doesn't look like an arrest. No, they, they, they escorted her to her press conference on a grassy little patch of land where they were given water and they talked to reporters. That's what happened. They were not Mirandized. There were no fingerprints. Their, their mugshot was her and the squad colleagues with their fists up smiling. Like that was the mugshot. It was insane. And, th- and then she tried to say that she wasn't faking her handcuffs. No, it, ludicrous, a ludicrous, obvious lie. Her hands were behind her. They were like on top of, uh, of each other. She did one little fist thing which, you know, the left is saying, well, clearly she wasn't faking her handcuffs because she did, she put her fist up at one point. It's like, yeah, because she's fucking, she's an idiot. That's why. Because she could, she got too swept up in the moment and put her fist up and blew the whole thing. But the, the, the point was for her to be photographed with her hands behind her back and a cop next to her. So it looked like she was handcuffed. So that headline with that picture would go viral. And, and it did for a minute, but the is internet it, sleuthing is a powerful thing, and the story really did become. I mean, I'm not going to sit here and say that the media won that one. The story definitely became this annoying woman faked her handcuffs. I don't think the New York Times even wrote about the, the arrest. That day, maybe they did after, but that day I checked, and and they didn't touch it. And, and I think that that's a pretty good indicator of of when someone is sort of embarrassing the establishment. And she, in that moment, was certainly an embarrassment. Because the thought process would be if a politician was actually arrested, it would be out on the wires, headlines. It's a huge story if Ocasio was actually arrested and sent to fucking jail for being at a protest on abortion. It's a, hu- it's a huge deal. Mm-hmm. Um, it didn't happen. I mean, there's this, we can quibble endlessly about the definition of arrest, but I, that, it's not that. That's not what happened there. Yeah. When, when you see that, um, does it, beg the question of like, does the truth matter or is actually the most important part in that? Unfortunately, just the photo and the headline and like you score a point and everyone moves on. You know, the idealist in me wants to say that the truth matters. Um, but this is something I struggle with a lot myself. I, I believe that you should tell the truth. I think that what carries the message forward is the story. So y- you want to make sure that the information you're conveying is 
is accurate, but you still have to tell a compelling story. And that's something that Ocasio-Cortez is very good at, is, is telling a, a compelling story online. Trump was really good at this. And it, it's like the question almost doesn't matter because we're in the middle of an information war and the people who are going to win are the people who have the most compelling story. So I think maybe it does matter, but it doesn't matter more than the story you're telling. You have to have both. I think that's that's the important thing that you have to reach for. And if you don't have a compelling story, it doesn't matter that you're right because you're just going to lose. So when you look at politicians, mainstream media, let, let's call um, kind of those in positions of power, influence, whatever, there seems to be blackouts that happen on stories. Um, there's like what I'll consider less severe, but still important to call out things like uh, Andrew Yang when he was running for president. We mm-hmm. saw the mainstream media essentially just like, we don't even know who that guy is. At one point, they were putting up pictures of other people. Like It's just all crazy stuff. Then we got the COVID and we saw like the lab leak stuff. And uh, I remember the day that Zero Hedge got kicked off Twitter. Yeah. And I turned to somebody and I was like, odds just went up. That's true. It's like that, literally that, one, that second. <laughs> the lab leak was, that's the craziest one. Okay, that's the cra- It's the reason that we always go, it's that and the Hunter Biden laptop. There, there's such insane things that we can't let them go. And then sort of, you always see people in the press like, yeah, okay, you have your one example. Can you please let it go? I can't let it go because it's, it's, an, it's an insane thing that happened. You have, you have a virus coursing the planet, uh, a, a coronavirus, and we are like, hey, what's up with that fucking coronavirus factory in Wuhan? Do we think that perhaps it came from there? And you're banned. It's like, that's it, the... I'm not saying it definitely happened. I'm saying that is a very reasonable question to ask. It's very reasonable to say, like, what's up with that place down the block from where you're saying the infection happened, where all the rare coronaviruses are being studied? Can we maybe look into that? And the fact that we couldn't, um, the fact that there were actually consequences for looking into that for about a year, um, no one is going to forget that. Anybody who who was concerned about that about that lab um, only to a year later be told that, yeah, you know, it, it's, it's probably, you're probably right. After going through an entire year of censorship, it's like, you can't ever, you can't ever look at the media the same way again. Um, and that was a really important one because it was clearly, it was clearly being weaponized. You have, a, a, and it's against our, against our national interests. You have a powerful foreign adversary did something potentially, Potentially, it was a potentially existential threat to the planet. Um, in, if intentional could be considered. Even uh, if it wasn't intentional. That's what I'm saying. But yeah. if it was, it would be very egregious and like absolutely imperative that we knew exactly what happened and responded. To this in some day, we fashion. need to know if if a, a horrifying hell virus can be escaped from that lab, because if it can, we need to shut it down. It's it's like, yeah, there should be consequences for that. Um, and, it, and it's insane that we can't have that conversation. And now we really can't. I mean, it's been years of who knows. There's no getting to the bottom. We'll never know the answer at this point. Um, it was a bat. But right. It was some guy <laughs> eating a bat, which we were supposed to believe was somehow less racist than the idea that the like evil prison state country had some evil Chernobyl like event that led to a catastrophic. Like, yeah, like that's obviously, that's obviously what happened. Like that's just obviously what happened. Um, and, and I actually think, right. And this is like the craziest part to me. Let's accept that if that is what happened, that would be a way better explanation for almost everyone involved. 
right? Like, like it, not intentional. It wasn't something that we don't understand. Yeah, but was it not intentional? That That is a very, look, it's a very important question because, again, it goes back to, I mean, there's things that the second and third order effects of that entire situation, including at the time, the president of the United States shutting down flights from certain geographic regions. It led to the end of Donald Trump. And, called and, racist. And, and, and it, I mean, that's really what, it, that COVID is why Trump lost the last election. And Trump was the only person who's been hard on China for, I mean, since the 70s, right? Since before Nixon went to China, there hasn't been someone harder on China than, than Trump, just in terms of economics. And that's the Chinese, that's a preferred uh, Chinese vertical of war. Is it's, like, it's like the economy and the market and then like propaganda. This is how, mm-hmm. this is how we're in conflict with China. Um, they wanted him out. I'm not saying I have no evidence. <laughs> I have no evidence. It seems like it came from the lab, and it seems a little suspicious that this worked out so well for the nation of China. There have been zero consequences, um, and and we weren't allowed to talk about it because the media, also our media that hated Trump, also knew that COVID was disadvantageous to Trump. Mm-hmm. So if he could find, if he could be like freely say, "Hey, it seems like it came from this country." America, we would have been outraged. Um, that would have been the story. It would have been a much more important story than just Trump's clownish incompetence handling a pandemic that then nobody else handled. If you look at um, past historical events, nothing unites a country more than war. Mm. And there have been arguments that some people have even gone to war to unite the country for political gain and, and all this type of stuff. If the media had treated that situation 180 degrees difference, there's a very strong argument that the country would have been heavily united on this front of we have to address the situation. There's leadership and actually would have won by an absolute landslide. Yeah. How do you have a serious conversation about the problematic use of the word spaz when an aggressive nuclear superpower is trying to destroy your entire population? It's impossible. Like all this divisive shit is just impossible in a, in, a, in a world like that. I think war is bad and we want to stay out of it. And increasingly we want to, I mean, I think probably best case scenario after World War II is America would have just been in charge of everything. Um, but we didn't do that. We tried to sort of police the seas and do this free trade thing. Um, we allowed power to grow in places like China and Russia. Now increasingly we're in a multipolar nuclear world and uh, sort of geography is thawing again, history is beginning again, and uh, we're going to have to, I think, retreat a little bit and just fortify our borders and uh, bring manufacturing home, things like this. That's going to take time. Uh, But also, I mean, like this Taiwan thing, I got in a lot of trouble among right-wing people. Um, what did you say? So among the populist right right now, it's like they're America first. That's their whole thing. If something is not in America's interest, then we shouldn't be doing it. And I agree. That's, I 100% agree. That's my politics. I, it's, we should, this country should come first. It's, I don't want a single politician in Washington who doesn't think that America should come first. That's their job. But when it comes to things like Taiwan, this is, this is then used as a reason to not be involved in the sort of China-Taiwan conflict at all. And that's ridiculous because 
what happens to Taiwan affects America. We need semiconductors. Like we with, without, we will have years of no electron, no new electronics the, the, potentially. That is the world that we're we're walking towards without a free Taiwan, uh, and that is just a product of. That's that's what happens after you know decades of globalism, where we've exported all of our manufacturing and left ourselves completely vulnerable. Things that I write about all the time: our resource insecurity, our manufacturing insecurity. We do need these industries at home, not because it's like just because it's oh, bring the jobs home. It's not. A, it's not. A, it's, just, it's also. It's a huge national security issue to be so resource insecure. But also, there's there's no short term way to snap your fingers and start processing rare earth metals um, across the country. It doesn't work that way. It takes time to build this stuff up. And until it does, we are at the mercy of these global supply chains, which we kind of have to protect. And so I think it's a balance. I think it's like, you, yeah, you don't, you're not going abroad because it's like, oh, it just makes me sad that the Taiwanese are going to be invaded by China. It's like, this is, we are affected by all of this. And so we kind of have to keep things as steady as we can until we can build our strength back up. Mm-hmm. Um, and so why'd they get mad? Why did who get mad? Oh, the right-wing the, people? Yeah. They don't, they're just like, oh, you love war. You want to go and mm. you want to go and send our boys abroad to die on the shores of Taiwan for semiconductors. And it's like, first of all, I don't think that we even need to fire. I don't think we need to even send anybody over there. Uh, we send Nancy Pelosi. <laughs> yeah. And she might have fixed the problem. Look at that. Look at that. Maverick flying see, over there. You saw the meme? Oh, I've seen the memes. <laughs> I live in the memes. I mean, yeah, like it's pretty good though, the right? memes are my home. Like, uh, I, I also think it's uh, wild that uh, many of the Chinese state talking points uh, I've gotten from uh, Chinese state Twitter accounts. Yeah. And it's like, Wait a minute. Yeah, they're like, like, they're all there. Alex Jones isn't, but we've got literal Chinese assets telling us <laughs> the news. <laughs> yeah. I mean, just kind of crazy, right? Like, we don't have, you know, you take one end of the spectrum of Alex Jones, take another end of, like, a politician, uh, a Donald Trump. You've got plenty of other people in various other corners of the internet, whatever, that aren't on Twitter anymore. Uh, but, like, there are accounts that literally are labeled Chinese, like, state-affiliated media. Yeah. And you're like... Okay. I wonder if the strategy there, because uh, it seems, like, I mean, obviously you think on the one hand, it's like this definitely shouldn't be on Twitter, but then is the strategy, like if we let them post openly, then they won't create a bunch of fake accounts that are even more difficult to keep track of? Well, I'm not advocating to take them down, right? Like, cool. I, I like that they label it. Like, uh, I get it. Leave them. But the argument I think I'm making is like, I mean, you would have to be so egregious Short of inciting violence, why are they on and other people aren't? Right. Right? Like, like it, it's more, it's less about like, hey, ban more people, kick more people off. Martin it's more Shkreli about like, was put banned. more people on the platform. Yeah. Martin Shkreli, remember? Yeah. So Ma- Farmer Mar- bro. Yeah. Martin was banned because he went after, went after Lauren Duca, who is no longer on the internet. We forget about, she was like, she was, she was the Taylor Lorenz before Taylor Lorenz. Um, she was the last like sort of main character of the deranged left. And uh, she worked for Teen Vogue and uh, was on like Tucker Carlson and stuff like this. Um, always just sort of making the craziest possible cases that were new to America. And we were like, whoa, this is like a crazy thing to say about um, the reduction of us to our gender or our race. And uh, she was talking about things like systemic white supremacy back before that was a normal thing to say. Really, I mean, people forget, but white supremacy used to mean 
KKK like five years ago. And now it's just like, I mean, your mailman's a white supremacist. Everyone's a white supremacist. That's, that's a new thing that happened. Uh, but she was a sort of uh, pioneer in the space of deranged woke bullshit. And um, she got into it with Shkreli. I don't even know over what, but he started asking her on dates. And he just was like, I think he might have even asked her to a dance or something, but it was like very innocent, but persistent. And she said this was harassment and, uh, and he was banned from the platform for it. And I, I went back and looked at it because um, he got out of prison recently. And I was curious about what, why he had been banned because he was creating new accounts and they kept removing him. They were like, no, you're permanently banned. Um, so I went back and I saw it and it was that. And that was just Given crazy. Given hind- hindsight bias, did it seem crazy? No. I, well, again, it's another sign of the fact that culture has shifted. Um, this was, you know, in 2017 or something when he was kicked off. It was, it was, I think things are, I do think things are better right now, which is a crazy thing to say. But I think mm-hmm. that culturally, I really believe that things are, are, are much better. He's still permanently banned, but I don't know that someone would get banned. Who knows? Watch me get banned for this. I don't yeah. even know. Um, but I, I think in general, things are better. Uh, that haven't been said. Yeah. Like, why are these Chinese assets tweeting well? you know, Alex Jones is still off the platform. When it comes to all these banning decisions, uh, we had one incident where uh, we had a video, we were interviewing somebody, a uh, pseudonymous person, he's talking about Bitcoin stuff, whatever. And uh, all of a sudden, I got like an email, an email, and then not just like, hey, that video is taken down. Like the entire YouTube channel was deleted. I think I, I remember this. What, what? And I remember at first just being like, eh, Give five minutes, you know, like turn your computer off, turn it back on. Maybe it'll like reappear. And then it like took up like, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes. I was like, holy shit. Like the channel's gone. I remember just being like, at the end of the day, like, does it really matter? Right. Like in the sense of like, it's not like somebody came and like shot me, but like. No, but it's crazy. You've built a whole world there, a whole audience, a whole thing, like all this stuff. So luckily I had other platforms like Twitter where I could go and tweet and be like, yo, what the fuck? Right. And tag YouTube and like do all the stuff and everything. And, uh, of course, if you have a big following, like there's people who work at YouTube who follow you, yeah. who are like DMing you being like, uh, can you give me some details? Let me look into it, whatever. So like, thank you. That's super helpful. But then like, I don't know, six hours later or wh- whatever it was, like it gets reinstated. And, uh, there was like an email and it was like, basically like, uh, it's back. Right. Like, like essentially right. like, just like, like, here you go, peasant. Like you can, you can now have your toy back, right? Like, all right, thanks guys. Uh, and I remember I asked, uh, I think it was an employee there and I said, uh, what happened? And the answer gave me the like vibe that it was like one employee at the company who had the power to do it was like, fuck this guy. Literally. Right. And, uh, cause normally the way that it works is like, you get a strike, you get a second strike, right? There's like a third strike, then you're done. Like what all this stuff. So like, there's a process, which I, I agree with like they try to warn people they they try to have a uh, uh, dialogue whatever and you may disagree with some of the decisions they make or whatever but it's not like you just wake up one day and bam it's gone short of again inciting violence or, or whatever but I was like holy shit how many people at that company have the power to like press a button well, and, and how just, many like, people, delete shit how many people have been erased how many people have been erased who don't have your platform and I think it happens all the time uh, or it has I I, I don't I don't it's all any, mistakes. Yeah. It, it, it well, was it is accidental. When, it is they when misinterpreted hugely pot, like when they become like big, loud stories for sure. Yes. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, it's messed up at the end of the day. You don't own your audience. This is why, I mean, I prefer things like Substack where, or any email newsletter where you, where you at least have the audience. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I don't, you can't even, you know, I have however many Twitter followers. I can't even, I can't even DM them all, <laughs> right? Like I don't, they're not, they're not actually my audience if you don't have any meaningful ability to communicate with them directly. Well, you can't take them anywhere either. Yeah, no, yeah, they're, they're just there. This episode is brought to you by Core, the free non-custodial browser extension built by Ava Labs, which is more than just a wallet. Did you know that you can also bridge Bitcoin natively across the Avalanche Bridge and take advantage of the thriving DeFi ecosystem in that community? With Core, any crypto user can easily swap assets, display NFTs in a beautiful interface, and store your assets in a ledger-enabled wallet. Plus, you can put real dollars in your Core wallet in just a few clicks. Go to core.app to access the full power of Web3 today. This episode is brought to you by Unstoppable Domains. They've partnered with blockchain.com to create NFT domain names ending in .blockchain. It's the perfect ending to show that you're a believer in a decentralized future. The blockchain.com community can join a short waitlist to get one for free at blockchain.com slash waitlist slash blockchain domain. Free NFT domains provide all the benefits of premium unstoppable domains, including fee-free lifelong ownership. If you don't have a blockchain.com wallet, no worries. There's new free domains available to everyone. Either join the waitlist for a free blockchain.com domain or visit unstoppabledomains.com to buy your domain today, starting as low as $5. Unstoppabledomains.com. Another story you mentioned earlier, uh, the president of the United States, his son, as the memes would suggest, every time that he wants to hang out with prostitutes, do drugs, uh, pretty much like just live his life, he puts like 17 cameras on his head. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. And films everything. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, he loves it. If this <laughs> he loves the camera. <laughs> if this was a reality television show, it would be the number one show in America. Yeah. We would be like, holy shit. Like, how did they get prostitutes on television? How did they get hard drug usage? Like all this shit. It'd be like cops when we were all growing up. And like you'd watch and be like, I wonder if the guy's gonna run away, combined with like the fucking awesomeness of the internet in one show. And like, it would be the, the, uh, the number one show in America, but it's not a show. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's real, but no one really talks about it I th- in the mainstream. Media. I think, yeah, I mean, I've noticed the New York times doing, I mean, they did a piece on the Hunter Biden. They were the ones. So the Washington post back when the Hunter Biden laptop story a month before the last presidential election was uh, put out by the New York Post. Um, so New York Post gets this laptop uh, f- from some repair guy who like handed it off to, I think, I forget, I forget like the chain of events. Somehow it gets that, to Rudy Giuliani. Th- that it gets to Rudy Giuliani and then like the Post is writing about the contents of it. Um, so this, this explosive <laughs> thing is coming out. And these are the first, this is like, you know, in, in the sort of maybe trilogy of Hunter Biden sex tapes, this is like, this is the first one. This is the fellowship of the ring, um, fellowship of the cock ring. It's like, it's right there. That's where it begins. So uh, the New York Post <laughs> released the story and uh, it's censored across the entire social, the social internet immediately. It did sound like a crazy enough story where you were like, that it was crazy real. It was crazy. And what you had is you, you had a series of people in the intelligence community, not directly working for uh, U.S. intelligence anymore, but they have been. So they're in the intelligence community and they go to the social media people. They're like, yo, 
this is Russian misinformation, <laughs> disinformation. This is, it's, and it's like, what is like, is, is the laptop leaked? Like, did they, is it, is the video not real? They fake the video? <laughs> like what is, what is fake exactly here? Um, doesn't matter. All banned. Uh, it, it, what really got crazy was actually how you couldn't even on messenger, you could not even DM the story to someone. You couldn't yes. share the link to the story. Uh, Twitter as well. On Twitter was the worst one. Facebook, everything was just, the virality was slowed down. So they just mm. slowed down the story until uh, a third party independent fact checker could verify or not the claims, which of course, I mean, we've never heard back from that review ever. <laughs> this is years ago and we've not heard back from the third party review. They're still doing um, the work. Yeah, they're still <laughs> checking it out. Uh, so this happens. It's of course all real. The Washington Post is at the moment, the official fact check on the New York Post story. And uh, the New York Times, if you look at a side-by-side, the New York Times was much more like, we don't really know. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I mean, we have no information that it's not real. Here's what's happening. Here's what the New York Post is saying. We have no idea. The, the, whereas the Washington Post was like, we don't like what this implies because the New York, uh, the, I said the New York, the, the, the Washington Post, the, the Washington Post fact check was like, we don't like what this implies. The headline of the New York Post, which broke the story, said it was a smoking gun of corruption. So what, what was actually being fact checked was just the opinion. They didn't like, the, the, what the Washington Post didn't like was what the New York Post was saying this probably meant. And, uh, and so then the, this, the story was widely censored, but it was the New York Times that then kicked the ball forward a little bit later, like a year or so later, I think, uh, they verified all of the claims. They were the ones who broke it. And everyone was like, oh, whoops, guess it was real. Uh, and like, no harm, no foul, right, guys? Kind of moving forward. Um, and they're the ones who who seem to be inching forward with uh, Hunter Biden corruption story still. Like, they're, they're still very much a team, it looks like to me, that's on top of this story. And it's, it has to do with Burisma, which is this Ukrainian energy company that Hunter was on the board of. And it's like, did he use his father's influence at the time of the Barack Obama presidency to gain favor and all of this shit that they're, they seem to be on? So people do seem to be following the story. Does anyone in the world believe that the children of the president or vice president of the United States of America does not get treated differently, whether it is crossing the street, whether it's in business, whether it's literally standing in line to order sure. fast food? Well, and also it's like, I mean, the, the, the reason that the sex tapes and the sort of like crack saga is so important is because it's like why would you want this guy on your board? Why are you paying this guy $500,000 a year to be on your board? He's a drug addict addicted to filming himself having sex with prostitutes. It's like, well, I don't even know what his qualification, what are his qualifications? Well, I would love to sit down with the Burisma execs and be like, what do you like about Hunter? <laughs> what are you, what are you getting from this? Has anybody interviewed them yet? Uh, I have, I, you know what? I haven't seen that interview. I would love yeah. to, I mean, if maybe one, would, of your, would be if one of your listeners can link me, I would be, I would love it. The, the, um, the, the other piece of it too, uh, is if that's all on his laptop, like where are other things, right? Like the internet is a place where like, you only got to press a button to send shit to, uh, to other people, other places. And so I think there was this element of like, Hey, there's some crazy stuff here. Right. And like, you know, do I really care that you do crack cocaine? Uh, and like, 
there's an argument we should get you some help, right? right. Like, like there's like a sad like humanity. Well, component. the conspiracy is that. No, I don't tell me the humanity thing. I, no, no, just like if if you're uh, aware of somebody who's addicted to hard drugs, right? right? Like, like there's two responses, like that's fucked up, and then also like, hey, we should probably get that person some help. And so there is this element of like, okay, if the president of the United States' son is addicted to crack cocaine, like some portion of people, whether it's small or large, is like, did we get him help? Like, right. like, 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 can we help the guy out? I felt bad for him during the election before I knew about the Burisma stuff. So then this is where, when you add in the, the context of everything else, I was like, else, leave this guy like, alone. I don't care whoa. about, the son's not running for pr- the president. Like, why are we talking about this? And then I learned a little more and I was like, this person's very close to power and money. And, uh, and this is, it, I mean, it, there's a lot of smoke in this story. It's like, I, there, I don't think there's yet any real fire, corruption, fire, but there's smoke. And what do you think would be like the smoking gun? They need to know if Biden offered anything. So like if, if the president is directly involved, then all of a sudden that's like the vice president. Yeah. Because he, he was the vice president yep. at the time. So, but if it's, a step away, even if it's, uh, I'll call it um, a gray area, questionable. Then I you mean, think it's those bad already. Like, mm. it's, already pr- it's already pretty bad. And I think that, uh, so the conspiracy about- the Give leaks, me the most extreme conspiracy theory. Well, that the deep state has leaked the videos because they want to remove Biden from power because he's going to lose the next election. So you have to weaken him so you can primary him. You have to justify the primary. And it's like, oh yeah, we're constantly seeing him now with his his gaffes. He's like looking dumber by the day. Is that because he is more senile than he was when he ran for the last election, or is it because people are putting more of a of a spotlight on it? And like who is doing that? That's the that's you have the the, the media and the people around the, the Biden administration. But then this footage is 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 released in waves, increasingly drawing scrutiny uh, over the Hunter Biden corruption, the Hunter Biden corruption story. And you are really in a place now where, I mean, it does seem like he's going to be, I, if I were, you know, a card carrying member of the democratic party, just obsessed with partisan politics, I would want him gone. I would want to, for sure. I would want him. There's no way he's going to win. Then I don't see him winning the next election. I don't, I don't, as of the information we have at the moment, uh, it looks bleak <laughs> for yeah. both the midterm election and also uh, if he was to run again. And it always goes back to me also, like, why do any of these 70 and 80 year old people want to be the president of the United States? Why are they allowed to be the president of the United States? Like, honestly, can we just have a cutoff? It should be just with the age of retirement. That's the cutoff. But if we're not going to do that, then I think at least 80, I think, I think 80 <laughs> is like a fair cutoff point for all of them. It, it begs the question, should it be an age cutoff or should there be like a cognitive test? Should there be a uh, uh, some sort of disqualifying medical evaluation, right? And, and I don't say it from like a, a, you know, I see the memes, I see it, I see the speeches. Like there are times where uh, there are maybe gaffes is like the 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 nicest way to put it. Um, but like if you or I wanted to go become a Navy SEAL, they would put us through immense physical and mental training and evaluation to then send us to faraway lands yeah. to support the United States of America. The problem is how this test is going to be weaponized. Um, you have pretty much one party that, in America, I think that you have one party. You have one sort of 
ethos, worldview kind of class that controls, you know, every seat of government. It controls the tech, the media, academia, and um, and certainly all of the bureaucratic seats. Like the, the whole San Francisco government, for example, like you can change over the government. There are a handful of supervisors that you could vote in. You could change the way government looks. Uh, you could change your legislator, uh, your legislators. But what you can't change are all the people who work for the San Francisco government. And they are just, they're all the same kind of like mm-hmm. um, useless bureaucratic, like the hall monitor energy is what you get. And they're, they're everywhere. Um, and so like those people all vote the same way. And that test, there's, there's like almost no way it's not going to be weaponized in my opinion. So I I think an age cutoff would be, would be a little cleaner. Yeah. All right. Uh, as we watch kind of the world unfold, uh, we've talked about a lot of pessimistic things. What's like the optimistic argument as to like how America at a minimum holds on at a maximum has this like renaissance and uh, continues to accelerate as the greatest country in the world. Well, I think America's biggest problem is that it's so easy to succeed here. Like we have a lot of room to fail and we're still thriving. And that has to do with uh, our, our, our relative geographical isolation, uh, our abundant natural resources and all of the wealth that we're standing on top of over the, fr- from, you know, the, the last decades and decades. So because of that, it's we allow things to get to get pretty bad, and uh, so I, I don't know. I don't see us. I don't see long term. I, I I see us. It's almost impossible for us to enter a world of sort of dark ages status. I think we're going to be limping along for a while. Um, the question is whether or not we become great. And, and that is all that depends on culture. So that's why I care so much about culture. That's why mm-hmm. I write about culture. That's why I try and make other people care about this stuff because that's, that, that becomes who we are. The stories we consume, the, the things that we want to be mm-hmm. is what determines the shape of our world. And, uh, we're in a really great position. Actually, we could be, you know, the greatest, we already are, I think, the greatest country in the history of the world. But I mean, we could be great in ways that are inconceivable right now. And um, I, what do we have to do? Like we're back to back world war champs, right? Yeah. Uh, I don't think we want to go fight another. I think world we have war. to care about local politics, honestly. Okay, explain. I think that it, we have really abandoned like basic shit. Just we have internalized a sense that we're not in charge of our, of the world around us, that we're not responsible for the world around us, our own lives. So like this, the way that this manifests is in every city I've, I drove at the beginning of the pandemic or the fall after the pandemic began, I drove cross country and I was looking for another place to live. Maybe I didn't know where I was going to be. Every city I went to had a homeless problem. Every city I went to had a drug problem. Every city I went to was covered in trash. Like every city I went to had a public education problem, had a a public infrastructure problem. I was living in San Francisco and in San Francisco, there are a lot of like sort of influencer type people with big megaphones. And so we know a lot about what's going on in San Francisco and it is crazy. And I do think San Francisco is kind of uniquely crazy. There are, it's like a, almost a fun city to tell stories about because the people are 
The politicians are so deranged. I mean, you had an actual pro-crime DA who was just recalled. Like, it's a fun story to tell. It's like, it's crazy. But the problem, the problems are everywhere. We have a problem of smart people not engaging where they are. People feeling intransient. Uh, I think, is that the right word? Intransient or when you're uprooted and... Mm-hmm. Just transient. It's like you have a transience of people kind of moving from city to city, smart people specifically, um, a lack of loyalty to where you're from. uh, And that – when that kind of I think – that becomes the way that we engage with the entire world is is just – Someone else will do it. Someone else will work on this. Why is it like this? I'm going to just be mad about it and then let it go or not be mad at it. That's even worse. If you just kind of internalize a sense that, uh, you know, a homeless drug addict going to the bathroom on your front steps is normal. That's just Mm -hmm. the cost of living in San Francisco. Like once you internalize Mm -hmm. that, that's the end. I mean, you're never going to fix anything if you just think that that's normal and, and, and feel bad for criticizing it. Um, so I think you start there. You have to start with your home. You have to you have to make where you physically are right now um, a better place. And and I, I think that if we can we can start doing that. I mean, we have people in the tech industry talking about charter city stuff, and we're going to build a new country. That's how I got into tech was the Seasteading Institute. This whole cool ideological um, idealistic. Uh, thought experiment really about what would it look like if we could build a sort of host of uh, politically autonomous cities in the middle of the ocean and, you know, rebuild everything from scratch. That's all exciting. And I, is it possible? Yes, I think so. I think it's all possible, but, but actually like the path to change is just unfortunately caring about the five idiots on your board of supervisors who have legalized crime. Like you could just, you could just focus on that problem and vote them out and fix things. And, um, you know, you don't have to reinvent the city. You have to just care about the city that you're in. Mm -hmm. And I, for some reason, like people just don't do that. Um, I saw the new, uh, was San Francisco DA, I think came in Yeah, and, uh, real radical ideas. Like (laughs) we're going to put people in jail if they commit crimes. She's saying, I like what she's saying. I like what she, we'll see, we'll see what she does. Um, but yeah, I mean, it feels good just to have someone not gaslight you and say like, yeah, like if someone throws a brick through your window, that's a problem. <laughs> like, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for saying, thank you for saying that to me already a step ahead. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, last thing I want to talk about is, uh, the state of the media with pirate wires. Uh, I think you've got like pretty big ambitions in terms of like, how do you, uh, create, content and allow people to consume things of that are like the signal among the noise or like the pirate ship among like the chaos. Like why do we need independent media? Well, I think everything is independent media at this point. Even people who work for the establishment increasingly have their own sub stacks or whatever, their own channels, their own presences on social media. They're becoming, they're independent in a sense. Um, That's just identity your personal identity is really powerful now because of social media. Mm-hmm. And and that's the future landscape of media. New York Times is this big outlier where it's it's definitely a brand first and then writer second. And they've, I think, fired the one person who was like sort of fighting against this trend internally um, in a very public way. And who's and she happens to be very obsessed with, with brand and, and social media and things like this. Uh, the New York Times is is the outlier. The, the general trend are it's people online talking who we like, 
and uh, and maybe it will be a collection of them. It'll be like a handful of people in a crew, uh, in a group, in in, a, in a, you know maybe an ar- a small army. Um, but it's it's always going to be people. That's the future, and that's what Pyro. I mean, I want as I grow, I want to bring in more people and have just like a handful of people who you can trust to also when they get things wrong, just admit it and be like, oh, I was wrong about that, and and, and tell people I want to build. I think in all of this chaos, um, information chaos, like, I mean, I love a good fight online, but also like, it's funny. A lot of it's funny. And I just, I just like, I can't help but laugh at at the craziest shit. And I want to build a place. I basically just want pirate wires is just, I'm building the place that I wish existed Mm -hmm. online, A, 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 a place in the media landscape where I can go and just like laugh at the bullshit and kind of try and piece together the facts of what's happening and and get a a, a more accurate sense of of what's going on. Someone to help sort of like parse the news. Um, yeah, and that's that's what it is. That's the future, and it starts there. It's just going to grow uh, through. Uh, I'm going to hire more writers, and we're going to grow it and um, take it sort of day by day. How do, you replic- how do you replicate the magic? So like I've told you in private, like every time you write, I'm just like, you just don't miss. Right. Like just every time I read it, I'm like, either this is laugh out loud funny, <laughs> this is like so spot on, or like, holy shit, I should text him and make sure that like he's still okay because they're gonna definitely come for him. Right. It's like <laughs> one of those three things, sometimes all three together. But like there is uh, a unique combination of uh one, you see what's happening, you're able to kind of pick out uh what are the important parts, you can connect them to like Tom Cruise and other things that are happening in today's society and like how they all kind of fit together in a narrative. Uh, you got a very unique way of writing, which I think people uh, really enjoy consuming, but like each one of those things is hard by itself. Like you're a unique person. How do you replicate that uh, with other people that you would bring on? I think that you don't, I think that what you want to do is first of all, like I don't really believe in, diversity of thought, like in the way that it's used. People talk about uh, the real diversity you need is diversity of opinion. And it's like, maybe, I mean, not on the big stuff though. Like in terms of values, I don't believe in diversity. I believe that we are, it's like we're thick as thieves. We're on the same side. We want the same thing. We're completely mission oriented. That's actually the place where, where you, that's the diversity in every other aspect, go for it. This, no, like, I think that you, you want a shared perspective. Mm-hmm. I, I want to work with people who don't necessarily see, they don't think the way I do, but they kind of have the same impulses that I do. They're mm-hmm. like, they're, they want the same things and like generally for the country and for their communities and they kind of agree on the bullshit. Um, mm-hmm. It's like once you have that much in common, then it's about finding people who have their own strengths and nurturing them. And I think that's the, that's, that's the, it's going to be like the X-Men mm-hmm. where it's not not everyone wearing the same costume and having the same power. It's a collection of people who do a bunch of extraordinary things and together you're fighting the sort of – you're fighting the fight. What does success look like? Like do you take down the patriarchy or like what – like what is the – what is the thing that you're like, yes. Well, we are the patriarchy. <laughs> I'm the – I'm, I'm the treasurer of the patriarchy. <laughs> nice to meet you. Uh, I – I want to be, I mean, we're going to build the biggest media company in the world. And it just is, this is where it starts that someone is going to, this is like the media has completely changed. Um, the old model is dead. It's what you're seeing now is not even the old model. It's just the, the empty carcass of what once existed. It's like, we're roaming the museums 
of uh, our cities even feel like museums of a world that once was. Certainly our media entities right now, these big media properties, they're not alive anymore. They're not, they're, they're not, they're it's just people have, people are working there and kind of keeping the lights on, but that's gone. The next thing is going to be, it's going to be a person who's going to become very big and then grow the company around them. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are all sorts of people who are trying to do something like that. Everyone kind of knows that that's the future roughly. Um, are there other ones that you're impressed by or that you think are doing it right? That you point you're like, oh, they, like they get it. There are lots of people I have a lot of respect for. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think, so I really like um, Stratechery. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really like... Uh, I really like Barry Weiss. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that you have people like Tybee and Greenwald who are huge, but not doing as much with that. It's like they're still they're just right. They just have big audiences. That's different. It's like what what do you do to expand and um, like if you were Glenn Greenwald, what do you think he should do to double or triple? Well, I think he's probably in a confused place right now because he's. He started with a company and now he's his own person and that seems better and more flexible and maybe he just doesn't have the ambition to build like mm-hmm. an empire. Um, I think that if you are – I think the mistake you would make while building something off of your back would be to hire a bunch of people who are nothing like you. Um, I think you want to hire people who amplify your voice first um, because that's what's working and then – find talented people who are doing their own thing, but mm-hmm. care about the same thing mm-hmm. and, and kind of have the same vibe mm-hmm. r- roughly speaking. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's the way that you build it. I think that the, the mistake a lot of people are making right now is trying to like rebuild the old model that's not working. And what you can't do online is anything that sacrifices your voice because in a world with so much writing and so much media, we live inside of it. Everything sounds the same. Mediocrity has the same voice. And what what stands out are people who have a unique voice. And that's the only thing that matters now. Um, everyone successful has that. And uh, and some are better than a few or the best. Mm-hmm. And um, you want to just feed that. You want to feed that originality because people, they are looking for that in the way that They know that the thing that exists right now is wrong, and so they don't want. They, 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 and so they know that the truth is going to sound different. Mm-hmm. Like it, it'll look different, it will sound different. It's going to stand out, and people are going to make fun of it. Um, you know, people people in the establishment are going to make fun of it, can throw eggs at it, look at this clown talking in a funny way or whatever else. But necessarily, like the new thing has to be fundamentally different. And so people will look for that, and when you find it, you have to nurture it. When you take that idea of the media, uh, it overlaps really well with a lot of these folks who are now becoming politicians or who have been politicians. Obviously, Trump was the quintessential example. Um, But I think as people look forward to 2024, it's like Trump, Biden, DeSantis, Newsom. Those seem to be like, again, I don't pay a ton of attention to politics, but if you said to me, pick the four people who are like most likely to run and have a shot, it seems like those four are the names that you keep hearing. Uh, But now, post Trump feels like there's always going to be like the wild card. And like, I've always said, like, I think the rock will be president one day. Yeah. 
super charismatic, well-known, you know, all this type of stuff, physically just massive compared to everyone else. And so kind of human <laughs> biology is like, oh, I guess that guy's the leader, right? All that type of stuff. Um, but like, how do you think that all plays out? And, you know, it's almost kind of like uh, when you were a kid, you're like, would you rather, you know, uh, do this or do that? And you come up with the most ridiculous things you come up with. Like now it's like, do you think that Trump without a Twitter account versus Biden, you know, at 80, like who wins? And so like, how do you see this playing out? I always just bet on the best story. And that's Newsom versus DeSantis. Mm-hmm. It's a battle of Florida versus California. And we have a real national conversation on the differences between those two states. Mm-hmm. I, in, in my gut, I think Trump's not going anywhere, but I think, I think, I think I'm, uh, this is not the way that I'm not good at these kinds of predictions Mm -hmm. because I go off of just intuition. And I just, I think that that's, I think it's DeSantis Newsom, which is crazy because it means Trump is gone and Biden's gone. It's the weirdest one, I think in, in, in a sense. But, but I think it's the most rational. I think it's the most, it's just the one that people, I think it's the conversation that people want to have. Yeah. It, it goes back to, again, like I'm joking, but I'm not right. Like Trump without a Twitter account is not Trump. Right. Because like part of the entertainment value and also part of the effectiveness and also part of the like stoking the critics and the haters and you know, whatever other, I think he said the haters, the losers and the critics or like whatever he said. Yeah. Right. Like all of that was his central hub has not been taken away. So it's kind of like, you know, if you said to an MMA fighter, like get in the boxing ring, right? Like you're not allowed to kick, wrestle. Like you're like, all right, well, like maybe they got a shot, but probably not as effective. And then Biden, I actually think uh, age is like a huge, huge component of this. I think the Democrats never intended on running him again. And then no one stepped up. And so for a minute it was like, well, he's going to run again. And it's just clearly, I think there's, it's, if he does, it will be the end. Yeah. So you, you get DeSantis and Newsom. And uh, I think that they also believe that because Newsom started oh, they to do. run ads in Florida. Yeah, yeah. DeSantis is, you know, got the Disney thing. Like, like you can see them almost jockeying to kind of set the stage for this, like, I don't know, OK Corral 12 noon, like, let's draw pistols and see, you know, who's quicker. Um, it's also, I mean, it's so far out. Anything could happen between now and then. Yeah, of course. But right now, that's where the... I think that's where all of the energy is. DeSantis, for sure. Listen, Trump is powerful. And I mean, he is just, he's like king making right now in seats across the country. So it's hard to say that he's, he's lost his mojo. Um, but, but how does he communicate to the people? Like, like to me, your, your whole thing of like the story, the story is really important, but distribution of the story is also important. Yeah. It's going to be hard for him without a, without a channel. I think that, uh, Cause it's not like, Hey, they'll give it back to him from what we understand right now. No. I mean, that would be a curveball of an event. If all of a sudden Twitter was like, cool, if you're running for president, you can have it back. Like you thought there was an uproar when he got kicked off. Imagine the uproar if they gave, they brought him back to run for president. We'll see what'll happen. I mean, at the end of the day, they might just want the growth because Trump, wherever he goes is a huge draw for crowds. And it, to a certain extent, he kind of, I mean, he kind of invented Twitter in its most recent incar- – this c- current incarnation is – it's his platform. It's, it's, he's the one who, mm-hmm. who drew all the attention and, and made Twitter what it is today in, in, in a sense. Um, they might just want it that badly. Or Elon's forced to buy it. He might be forced. I mean, I kind of – I know he doesn't want to buy it and I feel like he's going – he has a lot 
on his plate. I understand that, but I selfishly want him to be forced to buy it. Yeah, one, I mean, can you imagine? Uh, yeah, I, I live in these fantasies. Within a week of him owning it, even if nothing in well, the I'll product be CEO. changes, like nothing, no, nothing changes. He's gonna appoint me to CEO. <laughs> you think so? I'm gonna slide into his DMs. I'm gonna tell him I'm ready to step up and serve my country. <laughs> and he's gonna be like, go for it. I, I think um, uh, uh, there would be a shift in energy on the platform to the point where people would be like, the internet is fun again. Like yeah. Elon, Elon is here. I think that is the most important thing. And people are just done being miserable. Mm-hmm. And that is the most compelling part of, I think, what Elon is and what Trump was that people refused to see. And in general, what things, the things that, that really land online, it's like, I think people are looking to move past these pa- these this last handful of years of of kind of just like intensity and and find the levity. It's like a pressure release. It's going to mm-hmm. allow us to just breathe and move forward. And I agree with you 100. percent Yeah. Um, it also begs a question, I guess. Uh, did you get? Is it a subpoena? Were you were you dragged into? Uh, no. I saw. I heard that it's the new Midas list. Yeah, it's so. Hey, explain first of all what's going on, so people uh, know about. It the, uh, seems the like. New I mean, list. what I've read online is Twitter leadership is uh, has subpoenaed a bunch of people in Elon's orbit. Just I have no idea why. Just be, because of the lawsuit, they're trying to bring them in. Maybe piece this the whole wild story together. Um, I'm waiting because aren't is this the kind of thing that's like you've been served? Is they like they find you outside or something and. And call your name. I think and if you're like a, a billionaire or you're, you know, I mean, or a fake billionaire, li- li- fake billionaire, the, the circle of people that they have brought into this are literally the best investors in the world. Yeah. So like the whole idea of the new Midas list. Okay. Uh, I don't think that they like track you down on the street. I think it's more of like a, they call a lawyer and they're like, Hey, we can come do the on the street thing, but like. I want it. We are going to make it very, very difficult. I want the whole thing. <laughs> I want, I want the tr- the real treatment. I want to be served. Mike Solana, <laughs> and it would be. I would love to jump. I would love. To, I would love to tweet about this. There's a thing. I would love to. I would love it. It is. Take a picture with it on the ground. It is the new Midas list. I mean, everybody wants to be on this list. It is the the hottest new status symbol in Silicon Valley. <laughs> is a subpoena in the Twitter Elon lawsuit, and I'm waiting for mine. <laughs> All right, where can we send people to uh, Pirate PirateWires.com. Uh, I tweet it, uh, Mick Solana, M-I-C Solana, S-O-L-A-N-A. Um, and this is where you can find me. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. I really hope you enjoyed this one. Make sure you're subscribed on Apple, Spotify, or your favorite podcast player. And if you're looking to transition into a brand new job in the Bitcoin or crypto industry, we've got you covered. Head over to thecryptoacademy.io. My team and I have been working with the top HR teams in the industry to develop an intensive three-week training program with over 50 live events. We teach you exactly what you need to know to break into the industry, including live interview prep and resume review. Our students have been hired at over 75 of the world's best Bitcoin and crypto companies. Go to thecryptoacademy.io to learn more. Again, that's thecryptoacademy.io. If you enjoyed today's episode, make sure you share it with your friends and I'll see you all for the next episode.